Welcome to the Knock on Archery podcast, where we bring all archers and bow hunters together from all walks of life with the goal to educate, empower, and inspire you to be better both in the field and on the range. All right, everybody, this podcast, I think there's going to be a lot of you out there that were waiting for this one because you wanted to know what Troy had to say about the recent podcasts on Truth About Arrows and the recent videos. So, uh, several of you were tagging Troy and Troy did reach out and we, he reached out. We had some very nice professional conversations and, you know, honestly, what I've come to find out about Troy is he is a very curious person and he's curious with a very limited background in archery. So, some of the information I think that was being put out there was more out of curiosity. I think it kind of, you know, ended up setting a trend and it set it, it, it set a trend that ended up, you know, in some instances having negative effects on people's accuracy. And some of that just comes down to cause and effect. And honestly, I kind of think of it as, my son is, you know, six years into his his science degree in college, and the more he talks about the things that he's learning, the more I realize you just, you don't know what you don't know, and it's not because you don't necessarily know how to know it. It's because some of this stuff just gets really deep, and you haven't got there yet. So um, I wanted to have a conversation with Troy, reached out to him, and... Um, I just thought it would be an opportunity for you to, to honestly hear how the two of us communicate and hear our thought processes on some of this. And one of the things that I appreciate too is, you know, Troy, since this podcast has continued to reach out to me and ask me some whys and some different things. And I certainly continue to help Troy wherever I can and if he asks. Um, so I'm going to let this podcast roll out and let you listen to Troy and myself during this conversation. And I think, um, as you listen to that and then you proceed into the following podcast, I think you're going to just have some, some very clear and better understanding of all this. And I think for some of you out there, it's going to solidify, where you should hold your trust and probably where you should hold your maybe your curiosity but I guess that's up to you guys I wanted to offer both sides of the opinions both sides of the house in the end come together mutually no different than my podcast uh, my last podcast with Bill from Iron Will even though I really like expandable heads um, and we have some differences in opinion. We had a great conversation, open mind, and I will continue to work with Bill and show him things that I learn. And I'm sure Bill will do the same for me. And like I said, I've already done the same for Troy. Um, what I really would, would love is for everyone out there to, to have some awesome understanding, know the extremes, know the non-extremes, and just know the how-tos for that middle ground. So, all right, everybody, here we go. John Dudley in the Ranch Ferry. Enjoy. Troy, what's up? Good to meet you. 
Good to meet you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, I've got something on my screen here that makes me want to got it. Okay. There we go. Now I'm, now I can see. All right. Good to, uh, good to be on. Thank you very much for having me on. Troy Fowler, everybody. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a pretty fun couple weeks. We got hunting season coming up. So, uh, yeah, I can imagine your schedule is going to get wild. Yeah, it's gonna. It's honestly gonna get with uh, way less people. <laughs> so mm. I apologize, everyone. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be uh, social distancing myself in the tent. <laughs> <laughs> gotta be safe. You gotta be yeah. safe now. Gotta be. Hey, safe. bro. I have to tell you, I actually. Uh, I used to wear an Easton visor all the time when I shot. <laughs> I've worn a visor for years. I don't know what the hell my problem is, but I guess I'm a solar powered. Yeah, and uh, I've I've fished in them. I've hunted in them. I used to have one with a fish sticking out the front and a tail out the back. That and I hunted in the thing all the time, and people were just like, "What is that?" Like, it doesn't matter. Of course you, know, you did. Matter. Of course you did. <laughs> so I tell me, is and stuff. So tell me uh, a little bit about yourself, Troy. I know honestly, I've not consumed much of anything that you've done. If I, you know, yeah, sure. sorry about that, but I just. No, it's not I, problem. I, yeah. I work. I work a lot. Yeah, right. I I um yeah. I literally mow I, my grass once a week so that I can listen to like my favorite Joe Rogan podcast for the week. Yeah, sure. On a lawnmower. Otherwise, yeah, right. I'm I'm hustling. So I actually don't consume a lot of bow hunting media stuff. I primarily fish. I fish a lot. And um anyway, um I, I started screwing around with trying to figure out how to penetrate big fat, big, big ass feral hogs a long time ago. I killed a Pope and young deer and like two, I caught a nine, six tiger shark after fishing for one for, I caught a bunch of bulls and, and stuff. I'm kind of a weird dude. So you'll figure that out real quick. I caught a nine, six tiger in uh, 2005 and I quit shark fishing. Okay. I killed a Pope and Young deer in 2008, low fence, legit kind of deal, scored in the upper 150s. I, I sh stopped hunting deer. Coincidentally, I had children at the same time. So, you know, that takes the wind out of the sails a little bit. And I, but I never lost um, my love for hunting big feral hogs. So I, I got to the point that I let the p piles of them pass. I'm just after yeah. the big ones. And that's what I have access to. I've yep. just started Western hunting 10 years ago because a friend of mine's a big Western hunter and I started getting into that, but I never, it just wasn't anything I did. I fish a lot and I, and I bow hunted. And so I was having trouble killing them, but I was shooting them and I was hitting a lot of them. And I said, well, I don't know what else to do. I had every arrow platform on the planet and so I started playing around with a little bit higher forward center of broadheads and air and arrow platforms and learning to sharpen like hand sharpen broadheads mm -hmm. and, and actually get, and I think this is where I'd like to talk to you. I know I do learning how to get arrows to fly straight as opposed to the, <laughs> yeah, you know, it pretty much went there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You and I talked about it yesterday. I started exploring the, trying to get arrows to fly. Yeah. 
And I mean, I was, I was, I just bumped my arrows from 400 to 525, 550. I just put an insert in a 125 grain cone contact and I started wailing on them. Especially when I learned to better how to make an arrow fly straight yeah. with a broadhead on it. And then I started whacking them. And now it's just, if I hit them right there, dead. Like I, I, I back the camera up. If I hit them low and forward, I don't even wait. I just go out there and get them because they're done. Right? Yeah. And this is deer feeder work. So I was struggling and then it's really gotten better. And I started posting videos about it. So then I took it to another level. We have a ranch down here and there's no wanton waste laws on feral hogs. Right. It's one of the few animals you can actually test on, like legitimately post it, show pictures. There's no laws. So you can't do that with deer and stuff. Like you can't continuously shoot them. We've been shooting head shooting stuff with dead feral hogs with broadheads trying to break broadheads. Yeah. And see what will go through the skulls. If you can do that, eh, does pretty good on other stuff. So that's what I, I did. And I never expected any of this stuff to ever – I never expected to be talking to John Dudley. Let's just put it <laughs> that way. I expected to have 2,000 subscribers. They say, here's this dork in a hole somewhere talking about single-level broadheads and crazy stuff. And it was nothing was supposed to occur. It was, I was supposed to be kind of left bass fishing. <laughs> it got a little, it got a little wilder than I expected. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I told you I was going to call you Troy and I don't, that's I don't, fine. I don't play down character names. I don't know if that's, yeah, that's a character. Fine. I don't know the basis to it, but so where did you, yeah. um, what got you into archery? Like where did you, I came out of a womb with a bow and a fishing rod. There's no explaining it. BB guns, with no sights, you know, everybody had the old red well, rider. Did you have a red rider? Old. Did you have a power line 880? Oh, I had an 880. And then <laughs> I got, I really went off the deep end. I now have an RWS, Me recordless, too. you know, like Me a too. badass one. There's so much fun to shoot. Yeah. I haven't got into the PCP stuff yet. I just I don't want to. I haven't either. Yeah. But uh, I just have a recordless, you know, RWS and, and I love the precision stuff. And then, I've fished my whole fishing and hunting have kept me out of a lot of trouble. I had a, I have a lot of energy now. When I was 25, I was a nightmare. Like I was really, really high motor. <laughs> and thank God there was fishing rods and bow and arrows. Yeah. Cause I'd probably be in jail. I was going to be doing something. Well, it I, just yeah, may not I be did productive. go to jail with both those things. <laughs> <laughs> I went to jail uh, but it yeah. wasn't a major thing, right? Yeah. So it well, just I came out of the womb like that. So in 2008 was your first was that your first deer kill or was that No, oh, no. No, I okay. shot a bunch of them. I that just was your first Pope and Young, and Young? Okay. Yes, sir. Um, so where did you like what was your local shop and talk me through like kind of what was your like what was your knowledge base and when did you start to turn towards you know delivering information? Um I've been going to archery country four owners ago. Oh, okay. So With Susan and I've been Bill? In Austin, I've been in Austin for 25 years. With Susan and Bill? Before that, Jackie Hopper. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jackie yeah. was a... Oh, I never... Wow, I, I, I didn't know him, but I was uh, I was Bill and Susan's uh, rep. Um, ah. Late 90s, all through the early 2000s, and then um, yeah. I, hel I helped Susan when Bill passed, so... Right. Yeah, I would um, do all that. I was there when they were there. And then, so I would just, 
I was shooting a Matthew Switchback, which I still own three of them because it's awesome. Those things will shoot anything. They're wonderful for like beginners and stuff. I just love to put them in the hands of people who've never shot a bow and arrow because they're pretty. They behave, right? Hey, dude, look and, on look on your uh, look on your limbs. There there should be a built by sticker on there. Like, imagine if it had my. Could it say Dudley on it? JPD. It could definitely say. <laughs> Well, I will look. That would be awesome. Yeah. During slow, during like really busy times of year, there was, uh, even though I was in sales, I would go down and build. And especially during like product launch time, it was like all hands on deck for, for trying to build. Sure. So like, sure. so I would, I just would go to the shop and whatever they told me I would do. Okay. And I was shooting, you know, 400 spine arrows, shooting 60 pounds, 65 pounds, sometimes 350s. I had mechanicals, I had color contacts, I had, you know, I'm old enough that the Thunderhead was a thing. Like the Thunderhead showed up and we They're were like, timeless. wow, the They're timeless. Yeah, those are right. timeless. So that was my experience. And because I started, I mean, I'm hunting at a deer feeder and I know the distance. Right. And I started struggling killing big ones, like 200, 250 pound animal uh, pigs are really, really different, different targets to shoot than right. a deer or something. And I didn't have any help. This is pre-internet and or big internet like we have now. And I guess I just didn't have anything to lose by reading Dr. Ashby's study and starting to implement some of the stuff that he was talking about. I didn't, if I'm already not succeeding at a 90% level shooting at something right there that I know how far it is. This isn't stalking, you know, elk. I was like, what the hell do I have to lose? And I just ventured off on my own. And I, I cobbled together arrows and shot them around and bent, broke a ton of stuff. And so I guess I'm kind of a grassroots and stubborn person. I learn very tactile. I'm a very yeah. tactile learner. Me too. And so if I can put my hands on it, I get it. Yeah. So have you ever had like, have you ever had proper archery technique training like oh, i know no. you're in I'm the like every <laughs> no yeah. I'm like, i have had somebody teach me how to shoot a shotgun proper which is crazy okay shot the triggers out of my shotgun and he i was taught how to shoot a shotgun but i've never been taught to shoot a bow i am i am joe lunchbuck and i am not i'm like 90 percent of the world right i've never been taught proper anything well do you feel anything. like i'm gonna play devil's advocate Sure, okay. go for it. Um, and you know, first off, thanks for coming on too, because yeah, um, you know, I want to. I honestly, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not opposed or afraid of talking to anybody about this stuff. Um, sure. I just, I just had a a great podcast with with Bill from Iron Will, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm not, and I shouldn't say I'm not a fixed blade person. I love fixed blades, mm -hmm. and I think fixed blade heads are are the most penetrating thing you can put on a mm -hmm. arrow. But I also mm -hmm. know that I can get away with, you know, chopping stuff in two. So that's what I personally elect for. Um, yeah, so sure. we had some, you know, we had some great discussions and Bill's doing some, some testing too at a college. So I kind of wanted to cross reference some of the testing that he's doing, you know, whether it's true aerodynamics or whether it was, you know, mechanical, type studies or you know whether sure. it's fact based and and um just based off truly tracking the arrow or if it was all like 
computer generated, you know, which mm-hmm. sometimes can be good. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it'll put you on the right path. Like, oh, okay, I, we tried this and now this happened. The computer thinks it's this. Let's chase down that road some. And then all of a sudden we, we start to learn something. So I don't know a lot about you, if I'm honest. I know, like, sometimes I ask people why, you know, people will come up to me, they'll have a certain setup or I'm at an archery shop and, you know, mm-hmm. obviously I hear discussions. So there, a lot of them have been secondhand information. Um, mm-hmm. And then I've seen one picture of you shooting. I don't, I don't know if that's how you shoot all the time, but it like, I would definitely want to work with you if I'm on. That'd be great. I wish I was taught. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, um, see, I see what, one of the things that I really have, progressed career wise is just, I did a lot of things wrong to begin with. Honestly, my, you know, I used to have a wrist strap. I had terrible form and, you know, Mm -hmm. luckily I was pointed down some certain roads. And then for me, Troy, once I was able to actually shoot well enough to, to like see cause and effect, Mm -hmm. then it really started to open up different doors. And, um, and honestly, I personally never really like talk, you know, I wouldn't have broadcast it publicly if I hadn't have tested it. And that's probably, and who knows if I was, uh, if the internet was around when I was young and I was, you know, 18 and sleeping Mm -hmm. next to my truck at these shoots, I probably would have been YouTube and talking all kinds of, you know, well, I mean, I shot Hell, my my rookie year, I shot twenty six thirteens with one point two five four fletch veins, a mm-hmm. G knock that was fitted in the back of those uh, from a yeah, Delrin Bushin and and thirty grain points, dude. Like that, that was me um, with what I you know, and I was just trying all kinds of different stuff. Yeah, you but and I, also, I have that in common. Yep. <laughs> but I also started to realize like the cause and effect of the different things and then kind of find the, find the middle ground. And really that's what I want. I want, I love the fact that you are, you know, a grassroots person. The reason I go to total archery challenge events is those are my people. Um, I love grassroots archers and I want nothing more than to help grassroots archers. I personally feel like a lot of that first is going to start with the person and making sure that they can actually repeat themselves. Um, and then you have the ability to try tons of different things and, and see it happen. So, um, what kind of started you down the route where you're, I mean, are you just like curious with the stuff that that you say? I mean, it's, do you worry about people taking it to the bank more so than, I mean, cause what I'm worried about and what, mm-hmm. and really the reason why I'm like doing this whole series is I feel like some people don't know that it's curiosity and like, you know, what happens if we hold a lighter up and s- spray paint at it, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. that's the kind of curiosity stuff I did. But I think there's people now that are, that are like taking this stuff as, you know, as a hundred percent accurate and, I see people going backwards on some of this information because, sure. you know, um, well, I'm surprised you're not bow fishing, dude. Like some of the arrow configurations you're building would be perfect. They'd be for, awesome for, for bow, bow fishing. fishing. Yeah, they would be. Yeah, I don't have the boat. 
I used to have a friend with a boat fishing boat and it looked like a goddamn UFO going across the water. It's super fun, but Get a haven't done that in a long time. F- I need to, man, I, I just need more hobbies. Everybody's trying to get me to fly fish. I am not doing that, dude. Oh my God. I'll spend so much money. I'll be divorced. You need to bow fish. You need to bow. You, you can buy. You can buy a shitty boat because you're going to power wash it. It's going to have. <laughs> it's going to have eggs and blood in it. So you. Yeah, so right. you can. You can have a crappy boat and. And honestly, the arrows you're building and the bear shafting is perfect for bow fishing, dude. That's you're right. Your- it's a perfect thing. <laughs> That's My arrows your aren't spot. Quite that heavy. <laughs> That's your spot. All right, we figured it out in this podcast. So, uh. Do you want to ask me questions? I don't really know enough about you, um, and I don't want to make assumptions. I just uh, yeah, sure. I want to help everybody, dude. And if you're a grassroots bow hunter, like yeah. listen, at some point, I promise you, when I'm in Austin, I will I will give you a private lesson, like a full detailed lesson. I'll work on Please you with do. your technique, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Because honestly, I think. I think like that's the first step. If if I'm gonna like listen to something that you say and 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 value it, um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna want to be able to see you do that. Uh, but I would love to do that first. But do you oh, have? Any- I, I am super curious about learning it all. So that's great. My my philosophy is I'm here today, and I better damn well get smarter tomorrow. <laughs> okay. And that's one of the reasons why I've done some of the stuff I've done, I've gone out and you don't spend most people who watch my stuff. Don't realize how many hours and hours and hours I've spent. I have a, I have a range and a ranch right here, 15 minutes away. I can go hunt, hunt on. And, and I have a range out to 50 yards and I can just sit out there and break stuff. We buy pig scapulas from a butcher and we put them up on foam and sit there and blast at them with everything, mechanicals, light arrows, heavy arrows, and ninety percent of the time, it never makes the it never makes the cut. Like the, there's no there's nothing to film because we go shit that didn't work, <laughs> or or now we have nine more questions and that was the wrong test. Yeah, because what you got it's not that you're trying to forecast the results; it's that you didn't see the results. You what you predicted, and then what happened? You went, oh wow, that. And, and all of a sudden you go that way because yeah. you're not the best thing for somebody who thinks they have a scientific mind is not to set the premise and decide what's going to occur and try to prove that. The best thing is to have a premise and then allow for what occurs. Yeah. Like downrange drag blew me away. Oh, I'm going to elaborate R. And. Yeah. The amount of drag and velocity loss, yes, sir. Okay. The amount of downrange loss in velocity for arrows out past 60, 70 yards and the corresponding kinetic energy that is dumped past 60 yeah. is terrifying for bow hunting. Yeah, it's usually about 66 yards is the crossover. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah, that's and it gets thing. It starts to get a little wild on thinking if you're ever going to stick the arrow through anything. Yeah, If you for assess sure. the animals. So, For sure. Yeah, I have. A, I do have a couple of questions I would like to ask you, and I would love to be learned, be taught how to shoot a bow and arrow. So that would be me, super fun. Can I ask you something first? Um, yeah, sure. So when you read the Ashby stuff, mm-hmm. when did you kind of get have the affiliation with them? Like, at what point did that happen? They called me in nineteen 
18 That's or 19. That's when I got called. That's when I got called. <laughs> and well, they hadn't made the foundation yet, right? And so now I'm affiliated, but I was an original board member. Okay. And then I got some opportunities to actually, instead of spending my own money, make a little money. And I said, it's not right for somebody who's making money out of the archery industry to work as a board member on the foundation. Right. I felt like that was not proper for me to do. Yeah. It's a nonprofit, right? Right. So I'm, I talk to Ed all the time. I work with them. We do talks, all that stuff, but I'm just not on the board Okay. anymore. I, I was on the board for about a year. I got a couple of deals done and I just said, if it's a nonprofit, it's not the right way to go. Yeah. It's just the way I roll. So I, and I talked to Rob and, and I call Ed all the time and I ask him, he knows, have you, have you ever done a podcast with Ed? I haven't. I haven't. You, I'll, I'll give you his number. You ought to call him. He is the nicest damn guy you've ever met. He is. And the knowledge base, he was that original tester for the X bullet. Yeah. Professional hunter. Like get him to tell you some wild stories. Yeah, I'm definitely Africa. familiar with in him. the old days. I'm, that I'm guy's definitely awesome. familiar. But I guess so. Is his the, is his did his back is his back injury what prevent what kind of prevented him from actually being able to duplicate these the same type of study that he's done but with a compound bow? Correct, correct. He got hurt that bad. Okay, I mean, and has he not like found? someone that would actually duplicate that exact same thing with the compound because that's what the foundation's doing so okay. we've got a 2021 study a 22 study so we went to a rob went to africa and retested in the exact same format on cape buffalo not asiatics right we were supposed to go in 2020 we were supposed to go to australia and shoot like a hundred asiatics and test and covid happened yeah. And now it's a penal colony in that whole country. is crazy. But Rob went and retested on Cape Buffalo, and then he just got back from Argentina for on-water buffalo. Okay. So there's two supplements with an 80-pound compound, and Rob Nielsen can tune a bow. Rob Nielsen can get his arrows flying. He's got bow press and does all the stuff that I don't understand. And yeah. I'll gladly say that on any podcast. I am the average bow shooting person on the planet i represent everybody you'd like to help <laughs> and there's only for sure. one of you yeah right? for sure so that's where we're going with the foundation there you're unlikely to see a trad bow show up yeah but that that study was actually a formal white paper for the african government to assess the lethality of bow and arrows right yep and yeah, because there was a lot actually, of studies like that that were important for the for the PHs and all the certification to actually yeah. know what what the minimum requirements were for the big five. You know, um, yeah. you know. When Ed big, finished big the study, six, he recommended uh, he recommended not shooting pachyderms. When when the study was done, they asked him. Yeah. Even though he did two rhinos with a longbow. He said he doesn't, because of the safety component, he did not recommend rhinos and elephants when he finished the study to the government. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty wild to think somebody would be that, you know, straight about it. He's a well, great no, guy. I think it's, I think it's important. Like, I think it's, I think it's important that you show 
that you say it how it is. And obviously some of that stuff, yeah, depending on what he encountered, you know, it might be a valid, a, a valid, valid point. So, well, I think he spent enough time on the raw, on the, on the, on a big rifle on his 500 nitro in sticky situations with gun guys hunting pachyderms that, cause he was a pH over there in the sixties and seventies. I mean, it, not like he doesn't have a big knowledge base. So is there a reason that like, so for, for the, for the foundation, like if they see data from someone like Joel Maxfield, who mm-hmm. I really value, I've, you know, Joel is one mm-hmm. of my mentors. Um, yep. and I mean, have they, have they sought like information and data from people like that, that literally have, you know, instead of like trying to go find a water Buffalo or a Cape Buffalo, I mean, there's, you know, honestly, like if I look at someone like Joel, you know, I know Joel's probably, you know, killed a thousand things easily, Mm -hmm. you know, to where you can say, you know, what was the arrow on this or, you know, there's certainly like some of that stuff that I think is like so much more relative to North American hunting versus sure the dark continent is, you know, the rules get very different. The, honestly, I think the animals are, ve- <laughs> yeah. the animals are very different. Um, yeah. I would argue the, the vitals are almost in a place where you need to aim slightly. Like for me, I learned in Africa, like if you're placing arrows behind the shoulders, that's going to be problematic on a lot of the species. So you're, you're really like the golden triangle is the spot. Like there's no behind the golden triangle that, that is like, you're going through scapulas to, to get to where you need to get on some of that African stuff. But, you know, I've gone over there. I coached the South African team for three years. And part of my agreement with that was I would coach for a certain amount of days if I got to hunt for a certain amount of days. So I literally traded coaching for hunting, um, and, and did a lot over there. But honestly, the only thing I ever took, um, a 700 grain arrow for was a giraffe, uh, which I shot at 40 yards. And, you know, I think I I was shooting, a. I think I shot a 90 pound alpha max with a mm-hmm. 700 grain dangerous game arrow or something like that. But honestly, everything else over there at the time, I think for the most part, I was shooting the, the very beginnings to the infused axis. Um, yep. It was like when the nanocarbon technology was, was kind of in the early stages, but mm-hmm. I shot brass. Then I had, I had brass inserts made for my, axis even back then because at the time i had figured out um i shot accs for a lot prior to the axis but i just didn't like that accs only came with like you know little 16 grain inserts so i actually had you know i had brass inserts made and at the time i was only using 50s and 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 100 up front and i had a total of 150 and um and I loved it. And when I tried it, when I tried to go more, that's when I started to see that just like with water, you can go too far with some things. And, and if you Mm -hmm. go too far, then there starts to be diminishing returns. So I just want to make sure like when we give this information, we're making sure that we're giving it to people in a, in a format that's relative to where we are and also more importantly relative to the type of equipment that there is right now because the equipment's so freaking good 
It is really good. And so the reason why Ed shot, the reason why Ed, well, Mumbabi, he was given 24 hours to get all this crap out of Africa when Mumbabi took over. Okay. And he had to relocate very quickly. Lost everything. Yep. Right. He ends up in Australia. And the reason why you shoot big ass animals is if you can't, if it doesn't stop, you can't measure any performance. Yeah. So it wasn't like Ed was trying to prove, you got to call him. You'll love the guy. He's so much fun. But from a scientific standpoint, you cannot measure penetration if the arrow isn't stopping. There's no, there's no evidence. A pass-through tells us, great. Okay, well, great. Yeah. Pass-through. And we're still not getting that many pass-throughs on, on, on buffaloes with a lot of the arrow platforms, different broadhead platforms, actually. Yeah. We're getting penetration all the way to the offside ribs on big animals, which is dead. Okay, yeah. so that aside, right? So you can't measure penetration when it's a four or five or six inch difference when the animal, when the target is two feet wide. Yeah. Yep. That's why from a scientific standpoint, why he chose to go do the Asian buffaloes. Plus there's bunches of them. So right. you drive around with a 500 nitro, you blast them. And then there's a certain parameter so that the tissues don't change. You have right. 30 minutes. Yeah. Before they and, rig up. Right. And right. So you don't want the rigor mortis to take over and then it changes the tissues, changes the animal a lot. Yeah. No one, no one wants to do that, John. How do they, um, so then how do they kind of get them in a position to properly shoot them? Are they hanging them you, to where you they do your you know? best? No, they're, they're propped up on the ground, but you do yeah. a lot of shots. Right. And yeah. there's another advantage too. They're big as hell. So yeah. Cause that's the hard part is like on a whitetail, you know, if you're yeah, trying you to hit the same spot on a scapula, mm -hmm. you get, you know, half inch to it and you're breaking out the other part. So then it's, it's obviously he said shooting. you wouldn't believe how many times i shot the same hole on a goddamn target that size i've, and you I've done throw that. it out yeah i've right. done that a lot you gotta throw it out you yeah. can't yeah. um you can't count that and so that's one of the things is the studies there the foundation will gladly supply the testing parameters to anyone that wants to repeat it mm -hmm. and try other things and we'd love to get the information we're not the foundation not opposed to getting information that's not Ashby people or whatever, right? Whatever this yeah. is. It's we're trying it's it's trying to find people who actually want to try it. Yeah. Right? And try to repeat the test. It's it, if you read the thing, it's pretty clear how he did it. I mean, you have 20 yards. If you want to do skip angle, you take a protractor and you make it 20 degrees and 30 degrees and you start shooting and you see what happens. The, the amount of information that he was able to capture pre-internet before Word and Excel and all that, his graphs in there and everything, it's amazing. No, it's... If you it's, just step out of the argument and look at it and go, God, this dude put for some freaking work out. It's a, it's a life's work is what it is. 30 years. Know. Yeah. 30 I, well, years. Yeah. And I mean, right now, 30 years ago is, you know, when I kind of started doing this too. Yeah, sure. Um, do you think that chart is fair right now? The chart that I've seen, I've seen a chart. And honestly, mm -hmm. when I look at it, I'm not even adequate. And uh, 
I mean, I know that I'm adequate. Um, so do you, do you feel like what I would love and I don't, you know, and this is totally up to the Ashby foundation. I think it would be amazing if people could actually submit data and, and I don't know which podcast I said this on. I would love to have a chart like that to where the average person could have real information of, mm-hmm. okay, I'm a 27 inch draw. I'm a 60 pound archer. And you know what? If like Wayne Indicott from the bow rack says, listen, my wife's killed 50 animals with those exact same specs with a 420 mm-hmm. grain arrow with this broadhead. We've had mm-hmm. no issues. Like, I feel like I almost feel like I'm not fighting for a middle ground. Cause I feel like, I feel like it's more than a middle ground. You know, I feel like for some reason we went to no one really knowing and just trusting the shop and no one cared. And they just got what the shop Slung around, whatever. Sure. To where now some, now the people that honestly are average Joe's, but they're trying to do something that I know even myself would struggle. Like I I've built four Buffalo bows in the last four months. Okay. All of them killed Buffalo and passed through Buffalo's. Uh, most of them, all of them. Uh, yeah, I think so. I That's can awesome. Some pictures. Good for them. No, I don't um, need to see the pictures. But, That's but awesome. All, but all, but, but, the broadhead they chose was for the purpose. You know, it'd be like, for example, uh, when I was over there, um, so like you've seen like German yeah, kinetics, sure. silver flames. Of so they had something yeah, you know similar like this. And, yep. you know, you got a, a, a FMJ dangerous game with 75 grains in the front, 150 mm-hmm. head, 200 grain head, and yep. you're not taking a very far shot. And it, obviously, it is the size of a damn hippopotamus, right? Yeah, there's there's a lot to hit there. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, that is just such a different thing than anything we're talking about here here in the U.S. Unless you're going for a bison, really. So, I just wish we had like that chart, but a chart that let people be in the middle ground. So, you personally. Is your what's your arrow weight? Your personal arrow? My standard my standard platform is a completely bare shaft tuned, knock tuned, every one of them. Two fifty spine runs about six hundred grains with a two hundred grain broadhead. That's okay. my normal everyday arrow. And then I got the chance to go nail guy hunting uh, last year with Giannis, and I was running seven hundred and fifteen but I don't shoot over 40. So you and I've discussed, I have terrible form Mm -hmm. and I won't shoot over 40. Yeah. I just won't. I just don't. So it was a very practical arrow and I was not intending to shoot 40 at a no guy. I was going to either get close because I know I'm not that good a shot that far out. I don't know if it's form or just me. I don't practice that far. So it was irresponsible of me to say, Oh, I'm backing the thing out to 70 and I'm going (laughs) to launch them. I don't think that's, some of your arrows people, you're not going to get 70. No, I got <laughs> Well, that. you you I actually you. will cuz your peep height just based on your anchor position, your peep height's pretty high. But yeah, your your technique, like if I were to look at you, I'd say like you you're definitely setting yourself up 
for some possible red flags. Like I would be like, yeah, sure. I have no this doubt will come back to bite you. This will come back to bite you. Cause if, yeah. when I shot yeah. that way, which at one time I've, I've shot similar to that when I was self-taught. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah I've kind of learned the things that, that made the mistakes, but no, I just, some of that stuff I've just been really curious about because it, it seems like sometimes we're having to, you know, debates or people, within my feed or DMS or having debates mm -hmm. on some of these arrow topics, or they'll say, well, I don't care if my arrow has that much cast because I'm only shooting 30 yards or less. Sure. But, you know, for me in a whitetail scenario here in the Midwest, I don't get to, especially a lot of these people that want to go out and they want to hunt out of a tree saddle. They're not out there yep. trimming lanes or doing anything that mm -hmm. the flatness of that arrow is really important you know when you go into a naked spot as a public yeah. land hunter and you're going to climb a tree and where the foliage is is where it is you're definitely picking more lanes and cast just starts to become problematic so well that is, that assumes that there's no sticks in the way or right. low or high right? right it assumes it's all it assumes they're always above the the, the travel of the arrow. So yeah. that's a, that's a hard one. Um, I've talked about that a lot with a lot of public guys, cause that's not something I've done a lot of. And, but you know, I can't, I can't make an assessment on that because that assumes the lane is always in the favor of a flatter arrow. And, you know, the old, there's old stories of Fred bear drawing three quarters to lope it over a rock and kill sheep and stuff. I don't know if that's true or urban legend, but you know, we'll go with that. We'll I've, say that was I've, true. He's I've gone. shot stuff three. <laughs> I've shot stuff three quarter draw with the compound before, just because yeah, sure. that's you know that's what it took. That's uh, yeah, well. Sure. Sometimes that's yeah. as far as you can get it back. You got to look down the arrow yeah, shaft. Right. So, what's some of your questions? What do you got, Troy? I've not. I've not shot much three D or competitive at all. And me either. Do most years. people? <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Comparative analysis. Zero okay. to one lot okay are the does do most of the competitive folks on spots and 3d shoot the same bow that they shoot hunting no what no, are the differences I, well so um and i'm pretty fortunate um i'm fortunate and unfortunate in the fact that i get i'm I have like severe ADHD. I like, yeah, you bored. and I, I get, same in that, I, brother. I, yeah, I get bored very fast. Um, right. which is why over the course of my career, I actually competed in 3d for a certain amount of time. Then I jumped into indoor, then I jumped into outdoor distance and then I jumped mm -hmm. into field and right. where I settled with field was actually my more favorite because of the technicality. And mm -hmm. your technique really starts to become so critical when the angles and everything start to become a lot more hunting-like. But the target side with the long-distance stuff, that stuff really helped me learn long-distance projectiles and cause and effect. A lot of these mm -hmm. targets came from that era. Yep. Indoor shooting was very different especially coming from 3d and so here's why all three of or all four of those formats there's a different topic that is critical to how you're going to perform in that for 3d 3d was an an unknown distance game when i competed so no we lasers right 
Yeah, you couldn't take any range finders out. So we yeah, were right. a lot of us were chasing speed at the time because bows weren't mm -hmm. near as fast then. So we were chasing speed. So we had to do a lot of playing around with large diameter shafts, light point weights. You know, we our FOC sucked, like yeah, no, right. no doubt. However, most of the time, you know, you're not you have time to shoot. You're shooting one arrow. Yeah, right. uh, you have time to compose yourself and the distances are 50 yards and in for ASAs at the time it was 45 or less. So mm -hmm. when some people like even now, some people say, well, how come this 3d shooter can shoot this vein and it's just fine. And I'm like, well, what's the max, you know, if you're talking 20 to 50 yards, we can get very, very specific on uh, on a projectile that's great for that and lets you get some of the scorability, you know, with a slightly larger shaft. You also mm -hmm. can shoot a thinner wall shaft. You're not worried about durability like on an animal. Sure, yeah, right. Fake, yeah, right? just sitting foam. Now for indoor for indoor shooting like Vegas, the my setup would be much different. I would have an aluminum arrow. Um, the best ones I shot weren't, weren't honestly the biggest ones. Um, I shot the best with a 2315 rather than trying to use the 2512s or the 26s. Mm -hmm. I always shot better. My groups were tighter with a smaller diameter, which is what I shot. So I shot a four inch feather on that. And mm -hmm. because I was shooting a 2315 now for indoor, the poundage I would personally shoot would be in the mid fifties to upper fifties for poundage. I mean, you're, you're essentially just trying to build yourself into a robot. There's no outside weather. You're not getting blown around. You're in a very fixed yeah, right. position. And you're also trying to make the arrow do a very specific thing at one exact distance. So you can, you know, some of these guys super can, tune know, it in. Yeah, yeah. They might have to have an arrow that's, five inches over the end of their arrow rest just because if they cut it that short they actually can't get a stiff enough point to make the spine match properly and then you're just mm -hmm. not shooting super x's you're shooting tens um indoors i could use a lot more magnification i could also use a smaller peep because the lighting was always um consistent Good. right so yeah, right. you know i shot um here i'll just grab one uh. So when I shot indoor, um, I would shoot an arrow just like this is what I shot. Why are the, why are feathers so, so prevalent indoor? Um, so a lot of the indoor, I, shooters, I saw them a lot and I always wondered that. Well, because the drag of this doesn't matter when it's only going 20 yards. Mm -hmm. So what we're, what essentially what they're trying to do is they're trying, they have, they've got an exact fixed distance sure. and regardless of whether this thing is spined right or not, you just want this thing stabilizing as fast as possible to put a hole in the paper at an exact distance. There's no mother nature. This thing outside would drift hard. Um, obviously this thing's like a, tent pole that it's you know so you mm -hmm. need something that's going to stabilize it and turn it fast the other thing is the archers are using a launcher style blade for the most part so because of the clearance that you have right there between again you've got to turn the veins like you need this thing kind of turning quick because it's a it's a pole vaulting pole 
that you're trying to like stabilize instantly so that you can put it in the same spot at one distance. So we did put a little bit more of a wrap on there, which you can mm -hmm. see. And so right. when you had a lizard tongue, the amount of clearance right there is pretty dang minimal coming through. So you're trying to run the lizard tongue between the fletching, between the feathers. Right, right. And okay. when you have feathers, if there's any variation in your torque on your rest or if you heal it, you know, if that lizard tongue kind of kicks up a little bit, obviously this thing will just bend out of the way. It's the same reason recurve shooters loved feathers because that thing can go right over the shelf. They'll lay down flat and they'll go through. Whereas if you have a vein and contact a launcher, it's, well, the stiffer it is, the worse it'll be if you contact it. Whereas if it has give. So for the indoor I shoot, setup, I shoot feathers all the time. Okay. I shoot them, but I shoot a feather that's only an inch and a half long and half an inch tall, but I four fledge. Um, and so is it, I found them to be, you know, so you have a one, remember, a I'm one a five, one five, one five I feather. I cut them myself. So okay. I buy three inch parabolics and I cut them flat in the back. And okay. um, they're inch and a half long and about a half inch tall. They're four fletch. I shoot left helical and left bevel or okay. any broadhead I want to shoot. Doesn't matter then. But What's your reason for that? They, they stabilize, they seem to stabilize better. And on the high speed camera, they seem to come out of the bow and just really, like you're saying, like they behave. And I don't see any of the vein flap that you see when you get a high speed camera. You don't see the vein. You don't see the feathers yeah. going like that. And they also don't hang up when you hit stuff. Right. They fold down when you hit an animal. They fold down just like they do when they hit the tongue or hit the side of your recurve or et cetera. Right. They're, they tend to keep going. Yeah. I mean, I've. The headshots are have really confirmed that when you start blasting pigs through the head, trying to break broadheads for companies, and then you shoot one with feathers and it goes thirty yards past, and the other ones were hanging up on the veins. Yeah, it was just like wow. I mean, why not, right? Yeah, and they've always shot great for me, so I just hunt with them. Well, I'm going to continue on your question. So, um, so one once... the bows themselves. Oh yeah, was my question. Are they longer? Or are they more forgiving? Are they generally softer shooting? Or do you just shoot a 28 inch bow like you hunt with and go sling it around? It's changed a lot over time. The one, the mm -hmm. big differences that I'll tell you is because people are shooting lower pulling weight. Mm -hmm. They typically on an indoor target bow, they're going to shoot a heavier holding weight, so they'll have lower, they'll have less let off. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, if you're only shooting 55 pounds and you, you know, and you go and shoot a 90% cam, yeah, you just don't have you're much right. back there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Sure. And your, you know, and your torque is kind of magnified and usually with indoor shooting, people are going to have like a 30 inch stabilizer. They're going to have some rear weight. So, you know, having that extra holding weight just kind of helps that ratio for, oh, you mean it'll be stay a 50% on point. let off. Huh? It'll be like a fifty percent let off or something. It won't be usually 90, sixty-five. Be yeah, 60, right. But I, 60 I understand. To 65. What you mean. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I understand what you mean. Um. So they'll have that. Because I now. see uh, my friends who shoot three D serious, or at least proclaim to. Yeah. Tend to have longer bows. Yep. And they seem to be more forgiving bows. Like just, I don't know that much about them. I do know that I have a thirty-four inch bow that I hunt with, and it is so stable when I pull it. I mean. You just come back and the thing's like a rock. 
Yep. And then I've got some bows that are pushing 29 inch axle to axle. And they just wave around. They seem to wave around more. Yeah. But it seems to me from observing at 3D tournaments and I do appearances and talks and stuff around here that the bows those guys are shooting are completely different from the hunting bows that we're hunting with. And that's just me looking at them. Right. I, I, mean, I put my hands on them, right? But they seem longer. Yeah. The cams don't look as aggressive. Right. And it's like a different animal. Yeah. The, typically in the past, and this has changed, but at one time there was kind of a stigma on a, a short axle to axle bow wasn't as mm -hmm. forgiving. But at that time, a short axle to axle bow also came with a very short brace height. And our cams mm -hmm. used to be much smaller. So yeah, right. when, I remember. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> when you pull, when you pull back and you have a small cam, your string angle would be very sharp. Mm -hmm. Now with the taller bows or the longer axle axle bows, when we had those smaller wheels, you needed that so that it would open that triangle up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Now on a mm -hmm. lot of the new ones, like for me personally, the string angle on a, like on my levitate which is a 32 because of this this e2 cam and where it pivots and where the string is coming off the cam even when it's at full draw it actually feels more like what a 35 inch bow would have felt like back mm. when i competed so i'm able to be shorter but really it's the string angle like on this drawboard back here is normally like normally i'll draw a bow back and somewhere in here i've got an actual board that has my string angle. So I really try to find a bow that matches my string angle. Cause then it, it matches my face. So I don't really pay attention to axle to axle length in regards mm -hmm. to target shooting. But one thing I will definitely tell you that affects accuracy, regardless of whether it's a tall bow or a short bow, what I found to be the critical component to accuracy is when the string angle gets sharp enough to where the distance from your eye to the peep gets further. So imagine like having a scope where you're trying to like hold it way out here. You know what I mean? So there's definitely a distance um, from your peep to your eye to where, you know, your front sight, rear sight alignment is more attainable um, and more repeatable. And once, once that, peep has to be so high in your string at rest, you know, because of how sharp that angle is mm -hmm. when that distance gets further, it just gets to be less accurate. So the axle to axle is actually measured from the middle of a wheel. It's measured from the, the actual axle. It's measured from right. the axle on the, it's so axle to axle length is always going to be measured. That's from what I always axle. thought, but you get, you can cheat it with the cam being taller. Yeah. Then it acts like it's longer. Yeah. Cause imagine, you know, once this thing comes or once this point here comes sure. all the way out here, obviously it's going to, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll feel bigger than, than what it actually is. Cause I've, like I said, I've just wandered around 3D. I just watched all these folks who they hunt with a 28 or 29 inch bow that has a much more abrupt angle. And then, I get my hands on their 3D bows and they're 35 inches long. I mean, I don't yeah. know if that's just a carryover from the old days. You know, It could be. It could be. I'm kind of like, um, so with me shooting tacks, I've, I've obviously, I've been using more of what I would refer to as a crossover. So mm -hmm. I use, and this is actually the bow that I 
that I used for several of the last tacks. So really the only thing that would be different between this bow and what I would hunt with is I wouldn't use a rear bar. Um, mm -hmm. I just don't want that in a hunting situation. Uh, my sight is actually exactly the same. Um, my rest is exactly the same. The difference is this peep sight is a little bit smaller because I'm not like in a low light hunting blind situation. So I've reduced my peep sight just to help my accuracy some. And really the only changes I made was in my actual arrows because I'm not hunting animals. And I do shoot about 10 less pounds for like my crossover bow versus a hunting bow. So that bow's right at about 63, 64 pounds, whereas I personally hunt with about 75. Um, yeah. But the difference yeah. is yeah. like for the projectile for that bow, um, I would use like a, a smaller vein like this um, with, you know, I, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a very severe offset cause this thing's going to turn. Um, sure. and I did a podcast, uh, with a guy named, uh, Dr. James Park. Mm -hmm. And we had some, we had some really good discussion about, you know, just kind of aero stability and, you know, what kind of cause and effect is on fletching and, and well, and the flight itself. But yeah, this arrow is probably probably about 80 grains lighter than what I would hunt with. But, mm -hmm. you know, at, at the total archery challenge events, I want to make sure that I can actually, uh, achieve the longer distances, you know, and that's one of the things and that's you're, kind you're, of, that arrow, just 80 grains heavier. won't won't fly out as far as you want it to fly. Not at that weight. No, no. Oh, that's right. Cause you're shooting a million shots. So you, you get well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like the other day, well, when I started this series, I went out and I was shooting for a while and, and actually I shot three different brands. I shot a PSE, a Matthews and a Hoy, and then, um, I shot them in right helical, left helical. And then I changed out strings on the one that gave the most, you know, left clocking out. I changed strings over to one that was twisted counterclockwise to change that twist. And honestly, I still kind of had the same results. My arrows just grouped, you know, they, they, yep. when everything's tuned, right. They just group. So some of what I've been showing people is like the real cause and effect of that arrow when it comes to pin gaps, when it comes to being a little bit off in regards to rain, you know, improperly uh, ranging or mm -hmm. having incorrect distance, which is very probable as a, as a hunter, I feel like. Um, it happens, you know, it happens, yep. moves, you range them one or time. You range and they take three steps and it's an elk and you don't realize how far elk go when you don't hunt them much. Like I'm yeah. not around them. So yeah. I wouldn't realize how far they went. <laughs> well, one step's three yards, dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, of course. You right. know what I mean? So right. if, if you get a range and all of a sudden you, you go to make that shot and a cow picks its head up and she's just kind of like looking at you, chewing her cud, you're just having to freeze her for a minute and maybe that bull, you know, picks around a few more yards and yeah, a good hunter recognizes, you know, they have awareness of what's happening in that situation. So normally I'd say, okay, he's taking a couple steps, you know, three inches above center or whatever. Um, but obviously the slower that projectile and especially the shorter their draw length, 
the more that stuff just really starts to magnify. The other thing too is, um, you know, if you look at like Olympic style recurve shooters, Troy, mm -hmm. there's a lot of them that actually don't change their setups when they move indoors. And the reason they don't change their setups to like a bigger arrow like that is because the actual launch time slows down and someone that's, you know, especially as someone that's super elite, that's letting go with their fingers, they can feel the difference of that arrow and how long it's taking to clear out of there. And the longer it's within that system, the more your technique is important. Like the longer yeah, it's you have to be a statue. hundred percent, a hundred percent. And the thing is like for people who have to go, let's say someone goes and buys a bow off the rack and they, you know, they're all their buddies got seventies and they're like, I'm going to take the 70 and mm. they horse it back a time or two. And then once they get home, they realize I'm going to back this thing down now that no one's looking, you know, once you back those limb bolts out, the string tension gets weak. And when the string tension gets weaker, well now that heavy arrow or knock fit, and like how long that thing's on the string, if the knocks, honestly, if the knock is, uh, is on there a little bit too tight and it's pulling that freaking string way forward and mm -hmm. hits the string stop first and dives that tail down. I mean, now all of a sudden there starts to get these really, honestly, un like some of the things I think you're curious about is because they're so unpredictable. You're more or less like, well, this thing's doing something funky. I'm going to try to figure out what it is. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. But the problem is, dude, if you had just like a, like a, a simple basic setup, that thing would be coming off there so smooth to where you wouldn't be trying to, you know, figure out a problem that really doesn't exist, doesn't need to exist. It's just a problem that was created by kind of going backwards and, and where we've developed as an industry. So, but I think some of this is just, like you said, you're a very curious guy. Um, and some of it's like, you know, you need to, dude, you need to dive down my YouTube channel and some school knock. I'll get, listen, I told you, I will, I will personally give you lessons, dude. I would, I would, that would be, be nothing awesome. better than, than for you, someone to see you shooting and be like, who the hell that, that can't be Troy. Um, right. Because I think your tests will be better. You know, I think what you are trying to do will be better. And honestly, I think um, I think if you have more focus on accuracy too, I think you'll realize that some of the things that are extreme are actually giving you diminishing return, and you're you're chasing accuracy because you've made it inaccurate. Does that make sense? Well, I don't know if so. One of the things that's baffled me about the channel is I've been, I have laid out. So I realized that 90% of bow hunters are me. We've been given a bow and our uncle had one or whatever. And here we yep. are a decade later and we haven't had lessons from you or anyone. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's not a lot of shops. I don't know that have good shooters in them that are willing to spend the time. Um, and that's on me cause I never asked. Okay. Fair enough. You definitely but have a good shop. We and, have one of the best shops on the planet. And Those you have league and you have league night. So, 
Right. I'm going to just, so, I'm going to listen to you, but disagree. <laughs> that's fine. So I tried to figure out how somebody like me gets arrows to fly as accurately as they can in their backyard. No bow press. You want me to tell you, shot. you want me to tell you the most simplest of all? Sure. Knock point at 90 degrees. Center shot at 13 sixteenths from the inside of the shelf to the center of the shaft. That'll outshoot what most people, you know. And honestly, if you just follow a spine chart, like that'll outperform most people and their abilities. It honestly will. You know, it's like I I grew up shooting bales of hay and paper plates. You know, if we sure. could hit the plate paper plate four out of five times we got to go hunting that morning you know we'd all go out there and 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 shoot and really the only reason why you'd miss it is if you got nervous that you're going to miss it <laughs> like don't miss sure. the plate and not be able to go um, <laughs> <laughs> like you i would psych myself out more than than anything sure. else which is you know true in life all the time but honestly like if an arrow clips on the string and you have no slop up and down in your knock position, it clips on there. I mean, listen, back when when I started, you could squeeze two brass knocks on your center serving, put your Scott Mongoose underneath the arrow knock, mm -hmm. and you know, and and honestly, if when the string uh, angles got tight, you might have to put a little eliminator button underneath your arrow knock. Add all that. Yep. There's a lot of people that shot 300 rounds in Vegas with setups just like that, you know, and there still is, there still is, but like you could literally just do that. And that is what I do. I mean, I can tell you right now, there's, uh, I built a black bow that I shot this morning. I don't know where it is. Uh, but this morning I built a black bow to shoot three different types of arrows out of it. And just to show without moving anything, they were all touching at 60 yards. Um, you can watch that if you, if, if you've got, I will. Yeah. um, and all I did for that was I, you know, put my rest in an up position. I honestly, I did it with the five millimeter shafts, even though I shot a five and a six in that video. Um, yeah, but if you tune a five, a six will fly cause it's inside it. That's awesome. I've, yes. I've done that with micros. I've tuned with micros and then everything shoots because it's inside the shaft, right? Yeah. So um, I literally put the arrow rest up, you know, I'll, I'll put this thing at, at 90 degrees to start, which, you know, when this thing is up all the way, it'll, it'll be, mm -hmm. you know, it's, so I put that at 90 and then if you're looking down this thing like this, um, mm -hmm. I'm pretty much when I look down my string and down the arrow shaft, that thing is running right down the center of my stabilizer the whole way down. And, and, and honestly, that's usually, that's how almost, I do it. Yeah. yeah that, yep. And if you do that, that thing is going to outshoot most people's capabilities. How come I can't get a 400 spine arrow to fly doing that with a hundred gram point with, well, What's your, what is your specs? 65 and 28 and a half. I mean, yeah, I would say that's on the weak side. Just, just. Get, I know, just, but that, there's a lot of shops that would, pres would prescribe that for me to hunt with. You know what? You're right. And okay. thank, and thankfully, 
Um, so a few years ago when, when we actually came out with, um, I wanted to offer the match grade axis and match grade FMJs like I've always shot, but with brass insert standard and the broadhead adapter rings standard to be able to yep, go over the course, end of the I'll shaft we'll just, just for sure. tear out strength. Yep. Um, but I actually rewrote that chart because that chart was always based off like 10 to 16 grain inserts. Um, and the other thing was those charts were, they were, they had different options for like cams, like soft cam, hard cam, medium cam. Sure, hard yeah, cam. I remember the chart. Yeah, recurve. But no one here. really knew, <laughs> like people would assume what they were based off either how it felt when you pulled it back or how the cam looked. But the reality is that knock travel when you're drawing that bow back and whether that knock slightly rises or, or, you know, just continues to rise and stops or whether it's perfectly straight and stops or whether some go down up back down, those all start to create like very different dynamic forces on the arrow to where the arrow mm -hmm. is going to respond much differently than what the chart thinks. And the other thing is on some, this is, this could be a potential problem like for you troy because when you start to get at the very bottom end of a cams like i guess you know normally like they'll go from let's say 31 to a 27 mm -hmm. normally when you're at the very bottom end of a module setting you start to lose a ton of efficiency um, and that's actually why back at one time, like Matthews would make very specific cams for short draws. Yeah, like every that. draw length had its cam. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually the outback, the switchback did, right? Yeah. The switchback right. didn't have module. And that my was... ovation too. Oh, I love my ovation. I shot, I hunted in Africa with an ovation. Whack the hell out of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Now that is truly a soft cam. The ovation was, I love was shooting a, that was a soft cam. My nephew has it now. He calls it grandpa because it's, it's just the way it is. It's been around so damn long. Yeah. I was one of the things that when I used to just shoot the shop stuff and I didn't start farting around by myself, um, I never could get 400 spine arrows that were going as fast as I could get them to go to shoot straight with thunderheads or, or that's a pretty weak arrow. Yeah. That's a pretty weak arrow. I know, but it was, like I said, I was, I didn't know anything. That's what yeah. I was given. Right. And I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just saying my experience was it's just hard to buy arrows and the shops have to stay open. Yeah. You can't just test everything. Right. So yeah. I got that economics part of it. But it seems like when I started cutting the fletchings off a lot of different spines and just farting around with them, given my horrible shooting form, mm -hmm. I could get the arrows to bend to me. I think. I think. I can't prove that. Well, but I can get no, a that, dozen that arrows is accurate. Bare shafted. You, yeah, you, know. you could certainly do that, Troy. You can. So what'll and and that's kind of similar to when I talked about what we would build for indoor shooting, mm -hmm. because you can certainly either put yourself a certain distance from where you're actually applying that test to where. Mm -hmm. You can get the false hope that that arrow is actually stable, but it's only stable for a point of time. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily stabilized. It's just sta stable at a at a point of reference where 
your shoe. So I think what you mean is you could move the paper two more yards and you'd have a different tear. <laughs> yeah. That, you that, could. Just for the you regular could. people listening, right? Yeah. Absolutely. You, that would happen. You, you sure. could. You could do that. Sure. Absolutely. But there was, there was 100% a problem in our industry. And, and honestly, when pre-fletch arrows started coming out, I think a lot of shops, it was just really easy to do 400s. For example, when we committed to doing the arrow shafts that we did with Easton, we actually asked Easton before we ordered, because we had to order a ton to get, mm -hmm. you know, in order for, for them to produce for me what I asked for, the minimum commitment was, was very high. Um, and so I said, can you give me the historical data on model mix, which, you know, sales and, and POs should be based on model mix, right? Well, when they gave it to me, dude, I can tell you right now, five years ago, the model mix that Easton gave me was so leaned towards the 400. It was like 400s are number one seller, 340s are number two, 300 is number three. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to be totally opposite. I know for a mm -hmm. fact. And so a lot of people were trying to shoot a broadhead underspined. And when you do, it's disastrous or it's honestly frustrating to the point where you're even if you don't want to, you're going to shoot an expandable and just get the hell out of there. That's right. That's right. That's you right. know, um, but once you actually start to realize spine and then you also realize sometimes you actually get more out of an arrow by having a little bit more weight on the back of it, not necessarily from, you know, a momentum calculation or an FOC calculation, but for the fact that when you have more weight on the back of that arrow, it actually starts to stiffen that arrow up, even though there's weight back there, because that weight is absorbing the thrust of that string. So like, you know, the weight, it takes a lot to put, you know, the more weight you're pushing, the more obviously that's absorbing it. So sometimes mm -hmm. even though the FOC's down, the true flight characteristics of the arrow is up. And so for me, seeing those groups down range is what, for me, that's what makes an ethical hunter. Um, and that, that's what makes an accurate hunter. And quite frankly, based on most of the animals that we're talking about in North America, you know, you put a, you put a, not that one, that's an older one, but like, uh, you know, I, you know, you put like, I ordered some of these from Bill. I shoot a lot of different ones. I shoot the Montex solids. If my wife shoots mm -hmm. a Montex solid, um, there's certain designs I like, but like, for anyone that's a low poundage archer or a shorter draw archer, even, you know, well, my wife's killed everything up to a kudo. She's killed all the wildebeests. Um, she's killed, you know, huge hogs. Done a, she's done a ton of hog hunting, alligator. She's, with all that, honestly, everything that I just mentioned, she shot a, a Montec with a Axis 600 out of a 26 inch draw shooting 40 pounds and mm -hmm. you know the arrow is like flying at a speed to where we're not having to be within one yard she's she only you know ethically we only shoot 30 or less 
for mm-hmm. the kudu, we would only shoot 25 or less, and it had to be a, a quarter, a slight quartering shot. So we really we waited for the for the opportunity that matched the equipment and you know and it worked you know it was it was like more than more than adequate but sometimes how do we, I think, how do we help the average guy who's going to go chase an elk and have one stumble in facing him do we tell them not to shoot or do we tell them i mean that's that's this one is, of the this mysteries. is i don't i haven't experienced it so right. i see it a lot okay i just as a as a i watch have a lot you of killed a, have you shot. killed an elk yet no okay i've killed kudu wildebeest all that stuff but it was all water hole work and you just stand there and wait it's like deer feeder hunting yeah so it didn't I, matter i'll i'll answer but, your question on the on the frontal um i actually got asked this question. just that quartering in you know when they're just coming like they're walking in front of you but they're more quartering too because a called. quartering two is a disaster on an elk because mm-hmm. to hug tight enough to the to the shoulder you're getting one long liver and you know okay. that that's Good. pretty much what you're getting that's what you're hoping for and the angles t- and the thing is with a rib that's that long laid together i mean you're trying to sure. like you're shooting shoot down this, a picket like, fence yeah mm-hmm. you're trying to shoot down a picket fence so if it's head on um where the dark tan the dark brown meets the light tan. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, honestly, yeah, if you right look there. at us, we've got that right there. And elk does too. Mm-hmm. And if you go in that, like done. it's, it's, it's all the heart <laughs> valves, like real quick. Mm-hmm. And it's yep. definitely a fatal shot. However, you should never attempt a frontal if you're elevated at all, because the, the neck meat tissue is just going to slow yeah, that thing down regardless. Mm-hmm. And any type of angle, and honestly, I would never take a frontal unless it's 20 yards or less, because at that point, the animal is facing you and it is going to see movement and it's going to react. And honestly, if it's going to see movement because it's facing you and it's reacting, Troy, this is where I'm going to say the heavy arrow is going to be problematic because most likely you are going to encounter that shoulder because it's going to be quartering at some point way or another by the time that arrow gets there if you're Mm -hmm. shooting that frontal you got to have it's a big opening it's this big like if you ever Mm -hmm. field dress an elk you can see the the opening in the front of no i field dressed them i just had shot one i've been the guy who gets to pack them off the mountain (laughs) i just (laughs) yeah so it's definitely a lethal shot and i can tell you this um so on 9 11 uh myself and a buddy my bull was like to the minute of the first plane. His bull was like to the minute of the second plane. We killed two bulls in, in a matter of like seconds. And the fir- I shot the first one at about 10 yards square in the chest. And I, I know I was shooting an ACC 360. It's a 420 grain arrow. And I was shooting a, a steel uh let's see it was a rocket it was a rocket arrowhead uh steelhead 150 or a 1.5 inch cut so it wasn't a great mm-hmm. head but that thing buried you know halfway to the fletch it backed up the blood was coming out of that freaking thing sure, right like, everything's right there that's yeah, a really short that's the shortest way to the valves of the heart on the planet 
Yeah, it was spitting a funnel like four or five feet, and he kind of just stood there looking at it, and that drip just got closer and closer and closer and closer to him. And then all of a sudden, it shot out one last spurt, and he just hit the deck right there. Mm-hmm. And so, cardiogenic shock. Yeah, I looked at my buddy and I said, hey, while the lighting and everything's right, I go, let me film you a few times making some calls. So I literally just kept filming. He started making some calls, which is B-roll for anyone who films. And uh, and a bull bugled back from literally like exactly where my bull came from. And next thing you know, here comes the bigger bull. Evidently, mine was a satellite. (laughs) A bigger bull came and I'm like, holy crap, dude, I shot the wrong one. And he goes, yeah. I got a tag. I drew a tag. He goes, give me your bow. And, and he, this kid was small and I'm like, it's going to be way too long for you. And he goes, I'm going to shoot him right where you're stood. It won't matter. And I'm like, okay. And he kept calling and that bull came up, stepped over the top of my dead bull and came to like literally within the burnout marks. And this kid freaking pulled this thing back and just looked down the arrow shaft and shot his square in the chest too and literally both of these bulls fell over the top of each other and That's were and were both dead right there 600 inches of bull dead with the same bow and dude they were 420 <laughs> grain arrows with rocket with rocket arrowheads like yeah, yeah. nothing that either one of us would probably tell someone to go out and do right now but here's the thing troy if someone has that lower poundage and that shorter draw length and they choose a single bevel cut on impact head or or a double bevel. Listen, there's some there's some great ones. I've shot kudus, you know. I've got some German kinetics there. Those are those. Um, honestly, my wife and my son have done really good with the G5 Montex solids, and mm-hmm. though like it's going to go in. I'm not hypercritical of pass throughs, just because if I can make it. 16 inches into a cavity that animal is dead you know and is it nice for tracking a hundred percent it's going to be nice for tracking but i'm a lot more i try to educate at least my wife and my son and people that i mentor when i'm over their shoulder i try to mentor them on the fact of what are your what are your limitations you know if 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 you're only shooting 40 or 50 pounds, this thing needs to be 30 or less. You better be shooting a cut on impact head anyway. And Mm -hmm. I would personally say have an arrow that does have a a little bit more speed. Now, Joel's wife, Janice, I mean, she had probably shot a hundred animals when I met her and when I was 18. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think she's ever shot an arrow that's much over 400 grains ever. Mm -hmm. And, And I mean, and she's, pretty much done most of it but in mm-hmm. saying that she'll she'll never like legally qualify for like an elephant right because it's just sure. such limitations and a really valid point that was brought up was you know if if if, if any of your buddies went and told you that they just went and shot an elk with their with their stick bow you would and that, you know, and they kind of told you what they were shooting and they told you that, you know, they were shooting this arrow and a 60 pound recurve, you'd be like, sweet. And then if you actually do the math on that thing, I mean, most of them are what for like KE in the thirties, maybe oh, they're in thirties or forties. Yeah. So mm-hmm. 
we're already talking about like half of what a 400 grain or better arrow will do for most people shooting a compound bow. Mm -hmm. It's already half. So like, I just, I feel like accuracy is the most important thing and accuracy first and foremost is going to come from technique hundred percent, you know, just, it, and I'll break this down into a very simple shot process, uh, you know, when I, when I help you out and, okay. and, and so, and those very few things honestly add up to the most of the mistakes. A lot of times one little mistake here ends up making a big mistake further down the road. And I won't go too deep into that, but I just think technique, technique means clean arrow flight. And, and I'm talking the small details, like, you know, like teaching someone who has a beard or a face mask, the importance of not, you know, drawing way down here and then putting all that on top of it to where now you've got a totally different pressure on the arrow shaft, things like that front hand position. You know, if you're shooting a handheld release, you know, the impacts of like rounding that hand and turning the head angle to a different spot, how all of a sudden that starts to change accuracy. Like for me, accuracy is the number one thing. And I can take a bow that's technically not tuned, um, if you call it tuned and still be able to shoot it to where it groups awesome. But what I found is when you start to go too extreme on either end of this pole vault it's like having a pole vault where if you only you know tried to use one for your whole team and then big boy lineman goes and tries to use that thing and then wide receiver uh tries to use the same one you're gonna have like two very yeah very it's gonna do a struggle yeah so yeah. the 400 back to the 400 spine arrow which you consider to be under spine yeah you know, if my technique is really good, do, am I getting away with it or am I shooting the wrong arrow? Um, well, I think you could have, thing. I think you could have a lot better results with a different one. Just to give you an example. I just, um, there, there's a, there's, uh, I just built a, a bow for a girl in Texas. Um, she's shooting 52 pounds. Mm -hmm. and she had a 26 and a half inch draw length um i've got so whenever i do builds whenever i do builds i actually um keep one extra arrow because i always most of the time if i do a personal build i sight in their bows to 100 yards for them but okay. this is the arrow, so this is a 400 uh six I fletch put, yeah i did a six fletch a, six a fletches short, are awesome a short six fletch because she's going to be 30 or less. She's going to try to shoot a, a, you know, some type of a, a fixed blade head. Um, and one of the things with a lot of the women's bows, because they're, they're, uh, because their brace heights are a little bit shorter. A lot mm -hmm. of times when you flip that arrow rest, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. the veins mm -hmm. will I've be kind of sticking through there. So sure. I went with something a little bit shorter, but more of it. So the overall surface area is the same, but dude, this is a 400 with 50 grains of brass in the front and a hundred grain head. And this thing spined perfectly. And actually I, I used it with a six fletch and with a four, um, both of them shot bullet holes, but I just feel like 
like that 400 is like for her though she's shooting 50 pounds right right so that's why i'm saying five for you you're way under you're way under spined yeah you're way so how many people that's what i mean you and i talked about this yesterday what's your airline like how way and a half so do you so you leave some overhang too it's carbon to carbon yeah because because of the i shoot so many different broadhead platforms you want them? I just want to make sure I don't hit the front. Okay. Yeah, sometimes yeah. I go get wide ass broadheads and test them, which right. is super wild, and that kind of thing. Just shoot them a long way because that's but, magnifying your problem too, Troy. Sure. You know, by the the you know by the length of that, obviously it's making it weaker. You know, you might be able to get away with it if you did shorten that up some, but no, I would. I feel like some of the testing that you that would be awesome for you would be to try those you know a lot of different spines but with the exact same build and then have mm-hmm. you tried different lengths too to see how with that sure. exact same area arrow how much so i've uh, i've by bear shaft tuned i don't know how many stick bows and that's how you do it but what about compounds you cut the you can do it with a compound I'm just not going to put it out there because I'll get a thousand messages over one sixteenth of an inch difference in its form and its grip pressure, right? So, well, there's a there's a lot to it, but so like, I mean, cutting those shafts down is amazing on a stick. It's unbelievable what happens. It's yep. amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, what I've done is I just changed the point mass and bend the arrow different, and it behaves yeah. completely different bear shaft. Well, it for surely will. It for surely will, especially when it gets to be, you know, you kind of go over a threshold where it's too much to where. Sure. That, no, it's hilarious. W- it shows up big time and you back yeah. off, right? Yeah. You back off. I don't, I don't always go to the heaviest thing out there. In fact, I tell my, I tell the people who ask me about arrow builds and of course I'm going to assume they're like me. They've never been taught. They don't have good form. The bow's probably okay shop tuned, right? You have to make some assumptions here. Yeah, I think shops have gotten a lot people. better, truthfully. Yeah, I no, really do. They have. They have. And so I, I, through my own experience, I got 400s, 340s, 300s, 250s, bought all the stuff myself, bought a bunch of different field point weights, and said, in the trad world, you cut them. If I change the point weight, I'm bending them different. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to go find out. And it yeah. took me days of just standing there pounding paper at seven yards. Just I just said seven yards and it says fine. And I know about backing it up. It's going to tear different. I got that, right? Yeah. It's still, but I just, I kept changing the arrow bending rates for an average and obviously terrible form guy. And I could get them to, I could make a whole set of arrows that tore the same. And then when you fletch them, they're launching the same. And it doesn't always mean it's a 300-gram point. Right. You and I discussed this yesterday. About 90% of the people I talk to never go over 150-gram point. Yeah. Because it doesn't tune out. Exactly. If you were going to build an eight or 900-gram arrow, the real way to do that would be to probably get a 200 for me and cut it. So decide you're going to shoot seven or 800 grains do it like a stick bow and just start trimming it till it wants to fly. Yeah. I think I need to play with that. Well, you can also, um, honestly, you can get a spine that 
that spines out right and then add your weight by putting salt in it. I mean, you're not getting your FOC that sometimes I think I'd you rather guys shoot look a, I'd for. rather shoot a broadhead that can handle it though. I'd rather shoot to be honest, I'd rather shoot a 40 grain insert and a 300 grain tough head that's 0.06 thick and built like a tank to handle on target. It impact. just gets really hard because you're 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 almost trying to defy physics at that point. You know, it's like um actually you're pulling the shaft with the point. The point's well, flying. You're doing that once it gets out there and stabilizes. Sure, of course. Of course. But, but what you're first trying to do is to actually get that big old freaking shot put out in front of that thing moving first. Those, I'll tell you what's really interesting. That long tough head, the three to one that Ed, you know, has yeah. as the, the standard for the test, shoots like a dart. But it's one of the speed? best shooting broadheads I've ever shot. But at what speed? I think it's uh, 235 is what it's launching at right now because those are the that's my biggest arrow. That's my heaviest arrows. But I've had them running 250, and they shoot real good. But I mean, the, when I get like this, when I start to get here and get shorter and fatter, yeah, like the wide stuff, the, yeah. there's a big rage now, and the, the wide broadheads are coming back, and people are going to have some wild flight results past 30. Well, see what's happening is people are like very worried about penetration. And this is part of why I wanted, you know, I really wanted to have some discussions with you, Troy, because people are worried about penetration, but they also know that a small hole isn't the best on a marginal hit, which is honestly like I can shoot mechanicals and I do because if I hit somewhere, most likely it's going to be back. And if I do hit something back, the one thing I want is a mechanical head. Like, yeah. Are we teaching? So you and I discussed this yesterday. When you go to Africa, do you go ahead and shoot mechanicals and just pound them through the triangle? I shot 30 animals with a mechanical in Africa. I in believe one season. you. I'm just um, saying, did, and you, I did actually you go ahead used... and change your shot placement? Uh, Well, when I went to it's Africa, Africa. The, when I went to Africa the first year, I learned that they require a different shot, you know, placement, okay. you know, the, the golden triangle, you know, where the elbow, for those of you listening, where the arm comes up, it hits the elbow. And then you can see a crease that kind of goes forward towards their chest. Mm. And then the scapula will then come up. Well, that is the golden triangle. And in Africa, if you're not in that, if you're if you're behind the shoulder, quote unquote, there's some animals. You're going to be given money that, for nothing. Yeah, yep. you're not going to find them. Like their mm -hmm. vitals are definitely, you know, for that area, their vitals are definitely further forward. So, you know, I I honestly shot it. Um, I shot a G5 Tekken is what I was shooting, and um, I've never said this, but I don't think, but I killed a black wildebeest at like 116 yards, dude. And mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it was as close as that thing would ever come. They didn't come to water. Sure. And, and honestly, yeah, yeah. They, they were like on the same trail every night, right before dark. <laughs> and and I watched it. That's annoying. Yeah. I, yeah. I watched it for like three days. So then I went to camp middle of the day and I just, I'm like, I'm going to get a freaking mark for this. And I did. 
And, you know, at that angle, it's coming in hard. So I mm. actually like clipped the top of the vertebrae coming down and it, it was like a tree just, stand shot. Yeah. It mm. just floored that black wildebeest and they're pretty freaking big animals. And yeah, it, one. they're cool. Yeah. They're, they're actually one of the coolest looking animals. The coolest. Like yeah. got like awesome mohawks and mohawks. Yeah. The blues are fine, and, but the blacks are killer. The blacks, yeah, the bla are, cool. the blacks are the best. So, uh, it, it freaking dropped him on the spot, buried to the fletch. That thing was dead meat. And, and honestly, I was like, I wasn't over-prepared and having that arrow, it was a five, I think I was shooting a 540 grain arrow, um, yep. back then. Um, and it was, it was more than adequate, you know, for that. But I think some people are wanting to have the benefits of the big cut but they're wanting to have the penetration quote unquote of a fixed blade head. So what they're trying to do is to get the mag cuts to fly. And at some point, it's a disaster. yeah, at some point speed and rear stability are going to be a major factor. And the spine part, the spine part is such a pain in the ass when you're trying to like, overdo the spine or and sometimes if you underdo it you can you know your grouping will really start to get very horizontal because yeah, sure, the arrow the arrow's bending all the way down the range and the broadhead and the fletchings are fighting like that it's like it's like turning a tire tool well it definitely is with some of the arrows that i've seen on the front of your bow <laughs> yeah they fly i mean like darts you wouldn't yeah. believe it huh they fly great i can shoot any broadhead my terrible form out to my maximum distance, they group. I can't shoot at the same spot. I think some. I think some of I that can't. could. Yeah, I mean it's it's good, but I think some of that has to do with like the the speed of it too. Because once you start to get faster, mm -hmm. these little things start to they actually start to show up, and then once yep. you figure out how to fix them, you're kind of going all the way back to the beginning of. Okay, you know, and that's why like I shoot the weight arrow I shoot because um I really like 280 feet a second to like 295 is a very mm -hmm. manageable speed area for being able to stabilize a a pretty big assortment of broadheads, but it mm -hmm. also just has so many benefits for a hunter in regards to like your pin gaps. And especially, you know, shorter draw people if you got a 27 you know, some, some people, if they're, you know, if they're only shooting 250 feet a second, you know, they show up and they might only be able to, to have an 80 yard pin and I'm not promoting long distance shooting, but I think the further you can practice, the more it actually gives you clarity on. No, what there's no doubt about are. that. I shoot when I get serious about some hunt, I shoot at 40 or 50 the most and never intend to shoot that far. Yeah. Right. Because it magnifies everything, especially me. I tend to drop the bow. Like, I don't sit there and let her. I have to tell myself, let it travel. Let it travel. And what my mental image is, I need to see it. That's that's how I trick myself. That's how I, I, to, I don't say follow I need through. To I just say, let it travel. Troy. And I can see it, you know. <laughs> I've got to have yeah, to no, you can fix it. I'm going to have to hypnotize you and like totally just hit like reset. I'll have to hold down your, <laughs> yeah. your power button Dude, for six seconds. I absolutely seconds. know that's going to be a fact. I have had no help 
with that part of the thing. Like I said, I had a guy who was a world-class skeet shooter that shot all over the world, put a shotgun in my hand, just stand there and tilt my head and make me and hit me with a stick and make me behave. And I could shoot the lights out, right? I've never been taught. And that's where my whole, I don't know how many people know how to shoot a bow and arrow, John. A lot, dude. Right. I feel so I feel like you're in a, you know, well, you're on the you, I think you're out both you're not bow fishing. You need to bow fish because you'll probably get your all your attention's gonna get distracted into like finding <laughs> I gotta the get perfect, a bikini first. I got a bikini bow fish and then I can get lots of followers on Instagram. But <laughs> you could. Yep. There you go. It might fit um, your it might fit your alias name better. If, yeah, right. If you do it that way. I, I have another question for you. Yeah. How do you know we're shooting the best penetrator? Um, in regards to an arrow and like an arrow, me. Just, huh? Yeah. How does how do you think the industry decides that, or you, or me? How do we know we're shooting the highest percentage penetrator for the target we are shooting at? I'm not talking about. I'm talking about hunting. Um. Well. I mean, I think you have to do tests depending on what the application is. You know, if we're going to be just shooting plywood, well, we can probably find some pretty good projectiles to shoot plywood. You know, well, I'm talking about animals. How do we know that once we get our form good, that or you've tuned with the way I do it, and we've learned to sharpen broadheads and we're shooting good stuff? Because you can buy structural integrity, right? Ed's yeah. first rule is the stuff can't break. We all yeah. kind of agree the blades can't snap off. It better be sharp. It can't bend. Yeah. Great. There's nobody who's going to argue with that. How do we know that whatever we've decided to shoot is the best penetrator for the work we are getting ready to put on it? Well, I definitely think you could test it, but I also think just like with, with Ashby's studies, there's a lot of people, Troy, um, you know, honestly, if I, you know, myself, Joel Maxfield, Randy Ulmer, sure. uh, Darren Collins. Uh, let's see. I mean, I can, there's, there's tons that I know. Uh, honestly, Cam Haynes kills a ton of stuff. You know, you look at, um, Al Krause, you know, look at, look at Al Krause from up, up in South Dakota. Look at Wayne Endicott, like look at Bob Fromm. You know, I'm just like spitting random names out there that no, well, you're not that spitting I just random said are probably you're like the, you're spitting the best shooters in the world out there. Yeah, People but but why wouldn't like no different than than Ed? Why wouldn't you look at like those people's specs and realize that they're literally successful year after year after year? And those names that I said, and then you could add in like Wayne Indicott's wife, and you could add in like Janice Maxfield. Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, you've got someone like that has that group could have two to three thousand animals killed. That is data that are that is telling you this is well, it's not recorded though, right? But um, I don't know. I think have you asked them for it? You know, I would say I don't I, know. I, I don't know those people, but there's a subset of humanity that is are elite level people. Or they've been able to do elite level stuff. You're one of them. Outdoor, indoor, 3D, right? But you're not normal. Matt well, I started as a bow normal. hunter. 
I mean, I'm 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 a I'm a no. I'm just saying that Jill's exposure to the skill levels y'all have and the top 3D guys in the world and all that stuff and the names you rattled off. Yeah, these aren't normal people. Y'all are NBA level basketball players. I think we were so all normal we when we started. Like honestly, no, I, I, I really I do. That. I mean, so, and some of those out. names are very normal. <laughs> you know, they're they're right, but like I'm saying you find out you're good at you're good at this thing, yeah. right? And I don't know what we do with the guy who's a kick-ass accountant or a brain surgeon that you might need. But I he's think, not a great bow shot. I think these people were that, Troy. I think I think when people chase accuracy and not necessarily mm-hmm. numbers, then they they realize how accurate they are and they become very mm-hmm. good. You know, and and honestly, I can tell you right now, I'm sh- like when I walked out and just, you know, I've done several different things. I've walked out there and shot live with right helical and left helical and walked down there and showed people where they are. Today, I did three different arrows, never touched anything on the bow. I feel like if we chase groups, you become you become good and then you know what works and what doesn't work. And listen, there's mm-hmm. no better time for people who are just the average you know, bank teller or working at Subway or whatever. Listen, they can... They can like go to our website. They can go to knock on and of course. go to school mm-hmm. and knock and they can, I see hundreds and hundreds of people at total archery challenge that step up and they're like, I've only been shooting six months and I watch them and I'm like, damn, it took me 20 years to like, try to look like that. But they're focusing, they're focusing on the fundamentals for first and if they're doing that and then the frustration if they're doing that right and they have the frustration downrange then they make changes but i think like you know some of like that tuning technique that you were talking about like with the bear shaft stuff with the recurve 100% what you're saying like immediate effects because they're causing effects for different reason you know when you're letting go of a string with fingers you know, this arrow is flexing very differently than when you're shooting with a compound where it's flexing up and down. Yeah, right. right. So, you know, and and because of that and how it has to clear through a shelf that doesn't have near the cutout as a compound, mm-hmm. there's just like total, you know, and then you got side pressure instead of, you know, no pressure. Um, you know, you've got side pressure. So there's like, what is your spring tension? What's your arrow length to where the nodes are to where, how is that node affecting where that arrow is coming through? So like a lot of this is comparing apples to oranges. Whereas I think if people focused on the fundamentals first, and honestly, most people should just trust their dang archery shop. Like even if an archery shop isn't great, I mean, I've, I've shot some incredible rounds with a whisker biscuit set in the wrong position mm-hmm. just because you can. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you're repeatable and I think a lot of, a lot of the arrow talk is just overkill for what, you know, if you're talking about the average person, the guy that's working at subway or the guy that's, you know, what'd you say? You said brain surgeon, accountant, mechanic, oh, okay. Accountant. Well, damn, HVAC. both those, both those <laughs> guys have good money, dude. I was going to say right. the average that doesn't person, make them a good shot under pressure though. For sure, but I'm just saying the average person that really doesn't have the resources, for them, it's all the more 
reason and it's why it's so much more important that they actually focus on the technique and the fundamentals and keep the setups basic because you you can easily like i can confuse myself and i can definitely overcomplicate this thing yeah and sure we usually, all can. Mm -hmm. usually when i have something where like if someone sends me this and they're like i just can't figure this out i can look at it and like start to try to chase all these things or i can be like you know what i'm just gonna cut this shit off i'm gonna put a new center serving on it i'm gonna mount one of these you know one of the three rests that i like that that are pretty mm -hmm. bulletproof on there to put i'm gonna look at my chart i'm gonna get an arrow that i think is is suitable you know now if they tell me hey i'm going for an you know an elephant or if i'm going for a cave buffalo then yeah, I'm going to right away know, okay, I'm going to need a, a 700 grain arrow to start this. But otherwise, I'm going with 90 degrees, 13 sixteenths for, for a starting point. And mm -hmm. even if I don't check paper tear, as long as the cams are in kind of the right position, um, mm -hmm. honestly, you can actually outperform most of these setups that are people are that that people are like over complicating. So it's just, uh, I don't know. I want to, I want what's best for everybody. And I know you're inquisitive, which I think is awesome. Um, but it also comes with a lot of people not knowing where your squirrel head's going. You know, they're like, you're doing all these things. And if they try to follow some of it's just going to be counterintuitive that I feel like they'll end up, well, I've seen people go backwards rather than forwards so like what does that mean though does that mean they're less accurate less lethal? for sure for sure yeah definitely less accurate you know when when i've had people where i remember them from the year or two prior and i'm like oh shit this guy like this guy's got a pretty good a game because everyone's challenging me i've got to shoot you know i probably shot with seven to eight thousand people this year yeah um so but then when they come up and I see them like spray one like way off, but I'm also right over. Like if you watch me, every single person that's shooting Bigfoot, like my eyes are on them. I've watched in the last two years alone, I've probably watched 22,000 different arrow configurations fly. Like when people are saying, how do you have this kid with a 40 yard pin hitting Bigfoot at a hundred yards with one guess? Well, it's just my brain sees trajectory. It's math. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm seeing the shot put like kind of leading the way slow in the back of this thing, just like doing its best to keep up with something that it's not matched for, then they go backwards. You know, they really do. They so go those are all that was always people that have decided to shoot a heavier point, or was it just people with bad arrow flight? The, well, there's a little bit of both, but what I can tell okay. you is some of the people that, that show up with, that are very FOC focused, um, mm -hmm. a lot of times they don't get it all right. And honestly, a lot of times you can't get it right unless that, because by the time you do that, the starting spine has to be so stiff. Like for example, if I go to a 250 spine, you know, that grain per inch is actually so much higher than if I were to just choose my axis with 50 grains, if I had to put, you know, go to that next size up, the overall weight goes really high. Right, but you change, you, so you, the 300, you shoot a 300? I shoot a 300 with 50 in the front, 
Um, so the 300 is lighter than the 250. So you're basically in the same place, but you increase your four to center. Yeah. But you have okay. a much slower projectile to get there. You know, I'm well, the 250 and the 300 would be about the same. No, they're different. With a light insert. In oh, well, if, yeah, I mean, if you're going to put a light insert, but here's the problem. If you, are you saying the, so in order to break down the stiffer one properly to where it would actually fly for the best grouping ability, which again, mm -hmm. this is, I chase groups. I don't chase ghosts. Yeah, sure. That's what I say. Um, yeah. I chase groups. And what would happen, for example, if, if I want, well, I did it today, actually. So I have a 300 spine with 50 grains of brass, 150 in front. Um, mm -hmm. So in order to, uh, I had to go, I had to go to a full 75 grain insert to go to that 250 spine. Um, and I kind of need to either shoot more poundage or it's still going to be a little bit too stiff. So especially when you're on the bubble, there's diminishing return. Yeah, I get a lot of those. I get a lot of people who want to shoot lower spine and they're just there on the bubble. They need a 250 or whatever. Well, or a 350 well, and a 300, right? And and the reason they're doing that, Troy, is because what's happening is they want this point weight that they're hearing or they want the FOC that they're chasing. But mm -hmm. when they realize the spine that they actually need to get the bear shaft to do what they want, well, now they've got this arrow that's going 230 or 250. And mm -hmm. honestly, we're like pretty much going back to like recurve, you know, like we're pretty much going back to the speed that I was shooting in like the early 90s um, to do well, something like that. I did a study on that because I was, I took my lab radar and ran it out to 60. And because I was curious about downrange energy. Yep. So if somebody decides to shoot 60, so I shot uh, 388, 413, 515, 575, 618, and 700 grain arrow through the same lab radar. And at 60 yards, the kinetic energy of the 514 at impact was higher than a 400 grain arrow at launch. At launch or at 60, you said? At launch. The 514 grain arrow had more kinetic energy on target. than the, It was 388 grain arrow at launch. Yeah. Have you looked at some of Joel's at, data, Max Fields? I, he sent, they've sent me some stuff, and I've seen some of the data that he's done at 20. Well, he's and done – some he's of the, do, Yeah, he's done some at more. So – I'm actually I got it, working. And I need to get my hands on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of this stuff is like, I, I love that we have people that are asking questions and chasing them. But yep. the hard part about this to me is because it's so easy to have a YouTube channel or put your information out there, mm -hmm. some people don't just look at it as inquisitive. They're looking at it as this is what I need. And that is certainly what they're hearing from you is like, mm -hmm. this is what you need. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just here to tell you my personal opinion is it's hurting more people than it's helping right now. I think, I think we've, I think we need to focus more on technique. I think we should focus more on like a good bow setup where you're not trying to 
make a bow work to that. Because what's cool is, and what I tell people, Troy, is I set up bows. I never, I don't say I like tune bows. I set, I set up a bow. Mm-hmm. And then I definitely have so many arrow options. I can tune an arrow to match that setup. So do you change the arrows until it shoots good? Sure, sure. Yep. That's, what I, that's what I said earlier. Well, yeah, I'm but I'm not. But I'm not trying to make something that's purposed for something else work in this. And what I, does I that think, mean? um, some like for example, the 400 spine that you're trying to make, like right away. There's no way I'm shooting a 400 spine because it wouldn't fly, right? That was my point. Was I got a? This is 15 or 20 years. This is this is when the carbons hit. Yep. We all went super light. Hell, yeah. I had an overdraw. It was horrible. We all had to. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so the shop set me up with 400s, fletched arrows, kind of half-ass paper tuned it. I didn't know what I was doing. And I tried to get to shoot a muzzy or something. Mm-hmm. I literally would move my sights for my broadheads and just deal with it because I didn't know any better. I just, okay, that's what it did. And so... When you set up a bow, you got it 90 degrees, you got 13 16s off the center, right? For the rest. And then do you shoot multiple arrows through it to see yep. what wants to behave? Yeah. Do you what want are me the to, differences in the arrow? Me, I've got a laptop right here. You want me to show you something quick, Troy? Yeah. Um yep. let me just grab this. Hopefully it's 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 an oldie, so the battery is questionable uh (laughs) (laughs) aren't we all yeah um have you ever read i wrote a i i I, well i taught and i wrote um on something called the hill the hill method that's what i called it okay Mm -hmm. so the hill method is um and and i can send you an article i'll send you an article um that i wrote and it'll describe it. I can, I can send you, um, photography to, to go with that. That'd be great. Um, but I'm going to show you something that I've learned that kind of eliminates a lot of, um, that stuff that you're kind of trying to do, but in some ways you're taking a, a very long way to get to the same place, but in the process of that long way, it's like you're encountering so many weird European streets to where you think you're turning down the shortcut, but that thing ends up just taking you down this wild goose chase to like pop out a half block from where you freaking entered. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, let's see here. This is a pretty old computer. So I have to, um, it's just going to take me a, a little bit here to like, figure out how it's organized uh okay so let me look photos hill okay all right um so the hill method is is something that over time and over a lot of trial and error, I realized that 
the response of an arrow and its horizontal impact line has a direct correlation with how the spine is responding. So, um, so I give you a, uh, sorry, I'm trying to find, I've got so many pictures. I'm trying to find one where I can, where I can show it. Um, So I'm actually going to, I'll be doing a video series on this, Troy, soon enough. So, okay. so here's a bow. This bow's set up. I was shooting 40 yards, shot multiple groups, but, and normally if I'm ever testing this, I'll actually, I'll normally test this on a brand new target and just shoot at it for a day. And then I'll make my mm -hmm. changes the next day and shoot again. And honestly, if you mm -hmm. just compare holes this horizontal impact oh. line margin will start to reveal itself. So in this case, you know, for a lot of guys, they would think that's So you're talking awesome. about the fact that the arrows are scattered across right. the horizontal line, not round or vertical. Yeah, yeah. You're going to okay. notice, you're going to notice your, your, you know, your lefts and right. You, you know, if you're missing at all, it's like left and right, left and right. And as you start to change the spine of that arrow, that group is just going to start to shrink up. Or it might shrink up. And as you keep going, it starts to expand back out. And you know, you've yeah, gone right. too far. Yeah, right. That's what I found. That's what I found. As you mess with the arrow, all of a sudden it goes crazy and you've got to back up or go forward. Right. Thing. So how do you so, manage uh, the fact that there's only like five spines? It's really like for all you, you there's for only most of there's us. really only 300 or do you cut them? Yeah, or I mean mine are all cut all? to my length. Mine will be cut to my length with with these testing. But I mean if what I really you? wanted to like if I was really wanting to play with shafts, so let's say um I don't know, let's say for whatever reason the 300 axis is working fine, but mm -hmm. I just decided you know, I want to shoot um, a six and a half millimeter arrow. I would try it in the 300 at first, but let's say just because of whatever reason that arrow and uh -huh. the fact that it has different coefficients, it's got a different ballistic characteristics. It might just fly different because it's a bigger diameter. It's got more drag. The, the vein configuration might be different. It would still be a starting point. But what I found is Three and a half pounds to four pounds of pulling weight is equal to changing an arrow close to what would be a spine size. So mm -hmm. I can change my bow poundage up about four pounds, shoot mm -hmm. it. Then I can take the same arrow, shoot it in the middle round, and then I can drop that weight down. And essentially that's, that's one of the things I recommend to people when they get their either fletched uh, arrows or bear shaft really close. I tell them, take a half a turn off. Draw weight. Just, well, that's not a lot, but I mean, it's going to be, no, I mean, be micro-tuning at that point. Yeah. No, I mean, just take a half, a half a turn or a full turn off and see what happens. It's free. Yeah. Right? You can always put it back. Yeah. I've had, we've had some pretty great results uh, doing that. I need to... It'll need show to you the direction that. that you need to go. That's That's really the point of it is like... If all of a sudden you decrease, so here's the exact same bow, same arrows, same shooter. Um, so on this particular bow, that arrow, when I saw it being wide like that, I knew it was either stiff or or weak. Based on what I shot, it was weak because uh -huh. 
on these target bows, a lot of times I am chasing some speed too. So I'm trying to get away with the weaker spines because they weigh less. Sure. And, mm -hmm. but then, you know, what happened was once I delete, you know, I decreased my bow weight, zip, this thing sucks back together. The arrow starts to match the bow. So mm -hmm. now that I've figured this part out, same mm -hmm. bow, same shooter. Well, now I can make the decision of, I can either shoot this arrow like this, but if I want the extra poundage for a hunting reason or, you know, let's you gotta say, start over. Yes. Right? Well, what it tells me is what do I need to do? I need to go to the next stiffer spine and I can go back to the weight that I started. And once I kind of go to that stiffer spine and get back to the same result, which this is about as good as it thing, would get. Right? Well, then you can start playing with 25 grains difference in point weight and you can start to refine that next stiffer spine. So that's where, that's where you and I don't understand each other. That's exactly what I tell people to do. It's not a hundred grain change. Well, it's 25, yeah, I think, I think it's where they're starting with that's getting them in trouble. Well, <laughs> the field point test kits we have started a hundred grains. Okay. Well, so, so, so just so you know, um, if you're actually going to try to change a spine of an arrow, like if you're going to try to break down a 300 spine to where they would know if they need a 250 or a four or a 340, mm -hmm. it is going to take way more than 25 grains. You know, you, you are going to have surprised. to change. You, I know you've well, done a lot, but. For the average people out there, we get a tear like this, and they change it 25 grains, and all of a sudden... Yeah, but are you chasing adjusts. tears, or are you chasing groups? We're chasing tears that go to fletch, and then they group. Well, if you have an arrow that's stable at the beginning, and you, you check the groups, and then you make the change, you'll see how your groups change. But you just showed me pictures where the arrows weren't stable, and you changed the bow. Well, what's funny is... so. Or are they stable, just grouping different? So, yeah, both of the, so like, I don't go out if, I really don't go out for the most part if I haven't started with a bullet hole, but yeah, that, yeah. that is a bow shooting a bullet hole and well, and then the other one was a bow shooting yeah, a bullet that. hole too. Um, which, which group is fa most favorable? I assume the one that. Not the tighter the one, <laughs> the tighter so one. So the other one's round, right? It's, it looks vertical to me, but it's just the way that the computer is on the screen. They're just, yeah, they're so, just on top of each other. Okay, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. Is, I think is what you're right. seeing. Um, here, let me pull up a couple more. I'll show you. I've I've actually got some, um, on my phone here that I, I'd like to share with you. That's a great idea. Um, so so you took that bow, you shot it through paper, fletched. You got it to bear shaft, not bear shaft. You got it to fletched. Can you see this, Troy? I can. Okay. How far is that out? Or is that That's a bunch not, of different spines? This is 90 meters. Okay. So this is 90 meters, same bow, same arrow mm -hmm. type. Just yep. there is a, honestly, this is going to be a 380. Uh, that'd be a 420. And there's a, that right there would be uh wait it's 380 420 and that'll be a 470 right there okay spine. yep mm -hmm. yep so that's three different spines same gotcha. bow same 
same shooting. Um, this mm -hmm. particular group wasn't a shooting machine. Um, although I, I have a lot of this with shooting machines, but like those results right there. And so, Pretty amazing. Like, so here's another one. Um, okay. So this is actually out of a shooting machine, 90 meters. So this is plotting. It was the same exact arrows, same thing, three different spines. So the mm -hmm. spine that I thought I needed to go with, you know, you can see here as I'm plotting, you know, that's pretty freaking good. Those are for the right. most part, except here's, you know, this is the difference between shooting a, a 58, you know, out of 60 or honestly a right. 60 at 60. However, you know, I've got to recite in obviously, because as that spine starts to, to actually match the bow when it yeah, comes take to a different ability. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's going to take a different line. Whereas like these ones down here, you can see, you know, even though the width is only about the same as that with that stiffer spine, mm -hmm. the problem is I look at, well, this would be a non count. Uh, that's a non count if I happen to make a bad shot. But what I look at is like how far out or up are my marginal shots? Because ideally what I want is I want to be able to have a bow that groups but when I make a marginal shot, it's actually um, moderately forgiving. Right. And so I, I, also, I posted this picture uh, a couple days ago. So this picture right here and the glare is a little bit off, but this, this yeah. was a brand new target at the beginning of the day. And so mm -hmm. all those holes are through the course of taking arrows. And trust me, Troy, have you ever tried to tune an X10? I have not. Okay. Well, whatever you've dealt with with arrows is just, <laughs> just triple that. Is it the that. Wicked Witch? Yeah, well, triple that because an X10 is is barreled. So it's thicker in the middle and it tapers on oh, the end. Oh, I remember the taper shaft. Well, it's barreled. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's not really a fully taper shaft. It's, it's actually mm -hmm. barreled. It's barreled. Mm -hmm. So the way an X10 works is where the the actual barrel is placed on the overall shaft. When you cut off the back of the barrel, it will double the spine. It'll be double Holy the smokes. stiffness rate of the front. So I was literally having to take arrows and to do this Sandpaper. and cutting half inch off the front, half inch off back, two off oh. front, one off back. You've gone way too far. Throw that arrow in the garbage can so <laughs> like it 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 was a very very long process but it it just very clearly shows like if if your spine is off then these groupings start to appear mm -hmm. when when this starts to happen same bow same shooter this is just two different spine arrows but like you can send them all down there, dude. This like this thing right there. Those are all just mine. This is like in my my personal place. All those like I have two fifties and three hundreds in Sonics. I've got two fifties with fifty grains in the front. Two fifty with seventy five grains in the front. Three hundreds with three with seventy fives and three hundreds with fifties. 
then I have the same thing in FMJ. And honestly, when I build a brand new bow, like for example, if I decided to shoot the Mach 34 and the Levitate, even mm -hmm. though it's like technically the same bow, I'm going to set this thing up. I'm going to choose the arrow that I think is best, which I'd probably just go with the 300 with 50 grains of brass because historically that's been where I've landed a lot. I would check it through to paper to make sure there's no interference and I have no like clearance issues. But once I have that, I'll go outside with those buckets and I'll just lob the entire thing down there. You know, I'll shoot 10 of every single so arrow. So you're going to try to figure out what it wants to eat. I just go down there and it tells me what it wants to eat. Mm -hmm. It's right there. Um, but I don't try to make it like eat something that can't fit down its throat. <laughs> if that makes sense. No. It doesn't You're, make sense. You and I are doing a very, you and I are basically doing the same thing different. Because you're taking a I, long, you're taking a very long way to a, to a happy place. And like I said, during that long shooting, way, how many arrows are in that bucket? I mean, two, a hundred. Well, every one that you see is at least a dozen of a different configuration. <laughs> right. So, but those are all for I me, tell, you know, those are all mine. Right. When I try to help people, I tell them to shoot two different spines, five different field points. That's the test. And then they'll call me. Sometimes they email me back and say, hey, I got this or that. And that's when we start doing poundage and stuff. I'll get them on the phone and I'll say, hey, drop it a pound and a half. You know, drop yeah. it a turn just because it's an even thing, right? Just yeah. one turn, right? See what happens. Keep fiddling. As a, uh, so if we did it, how do we help people get that many arrows in their hands like you do so they you can do this? don't need it, bro. Like I feel well, why like do you, you, do can, it? you can simplify um why do you do it why don't well because i normally build close to 100 bows a year to shoot for you uh, yeah well yeah if i'm prototyping i mean you know there might be like seven different generations of that cam just to like move knock travel a quarter inch mm -hmm. at the tail end of the curve and now i have to see how that arrow responds to it which it'll respond differently um but a different arrow might you might have the same platform and the cam's a little different and then the different arrow will shoot off that bow completely yeah, different. Totally, man. Yeah, I mean change change, change yeah, I gotta the help. Knot. I gotta figure out how we help people get there. Because that means that, Simplify. that means that the average person's Simplify. got the same problem, right? Um, I think the average person, if they go into their archery shop and say, you know, what's the best what's the best combination that you're setting up for this particular bow that I really like? I think a shop is going to, especially now, I think they're going to, they're going to give them a setup. That's going to be pretty damn accurate. You know, well, your I, pictures I, just showed us that we could get better though. Well, you can, but you're never going to notice that if you're spending time chasing bear shaft tuning instead of practicing. You know, but that's, you, you, we were just we were just talking about pictures where the spine moved the arrow all over the place, and the groups and it, got yeah, opened. And it yeah, and it definitely will. It definitely will. But like the average person, like I simplified it for you, the mm -hmm. average person can change their bow four pounds, and mm -hmm. it will show you right away whether or not you're on the right path or not. 
you know, you change it that much and all of a sudden you shoot down there and you're like, man, this got worse. Then go back to where you were and add some. And if you're like, actually, that's kind of getting worse. Well, now you just know you're in the good spot and you just got to get better. You know, you just got to get better. But I think that I think the average <laughs> Joe Blow would be so far ahead by by trusting people that put so many bows out the door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, archery shops want people to go have success and stay in. Like, you know, I'm going to. I'm going to take a ruler to anyone's hand. If there's archery shops that are having brand new people come in the door that want to learn archery and they're doing something dumb enough to turn turn them away. Like Mm -hmm. we definitely don't need that. Some Mm -hmm. of the information that's getting too extreme in my opinion is overcomplicating and, and, and it's confusing people. And some of this stuff is very, very high tech. Like I'm actually having to like, throttle back on what i'm saying to you because your your brain's going so many different directions fast that i don't feel like i can go you know down one hole enough but the Mm -hmm. cause and effect is just so vast you know it's it really is it's like with your particular setup you know i could i could certainly over you know if i had a day to do it i could build one setup where it's like hey troy if you want an arrow that's in the 400s here's the arrow for you. If you want an arrow in the 500s, this is the best arrow, you know, that's in this. If all of a sudden now you're wanting to go to a 600, I mean, all those are like finding different arrows to fit those categories. But the more, Mm -hmm. the further you go down the heavier side, like once you start getting over 600 or especially once you start going over 200 in the front, Mm -hmm. it's just, there's, there's the diminishing return and the learning curve is going to be more of a deterrent for archers than what they really need. Like that's, that's what I'm telling you. I don't know if, if you'll factor that into like what you teach or your methodology, but, um, I think there's a much simpler middle ground that, that can get you shooting really well. And I think, you know, I think a basic setup, you know, if I just came in and said like, Hey dude, I'm going to send you this, you go tell me how good you can shoot it. And I'm going to give you lessons for like a couple hours and just let you shoot it. And then if you're like, Hey dude, this arrow that I have, that's this way, just, I shot so much better with it. I don't think that that would happen. You know, I'm pretty certain that it wouldn't happen, but it might not meet some of the numbers that you want to chase. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, I think some of the numbers that you're wanting to chase are numbers that, you know, aren't totally relative. It's kind of like, you the know. The one thing that's, the damn pictures you showed are all, my head is like, oh, wow, I got all kind of stuff I want to go play with now. I'm going to the, I'm going to the range tonight and bombing away with a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I got so many arrows right now I can go play with. That's crazy cool. Maybe that's what I need to do is just start sending you like, an article and some data and just be like, Troy, this is what you're going to do for the month. Go, go tell me what you find out. Well, the one thing I can, the one thing I cannot get past yet, and I'll have to figure this out is I don't leave arrows and animals ever. Never. Yeah. Yeah. They don't stay in them. And I shoot them like I shoot Africa. Yeah. Well, we just broke the humorous ball and sheared the scapula off of a pig 
this weekend with a 550 grain arrow and cut the thing right off. Pig went 40 yards and it didn't hit the heart, which was amazing. Went over the top of the heart because pigs are stupid and they got dumb physiology. (laughs) They are, they are interesting. We were not trying to hit that. The pig was quartering away. It was at night, which always adds an extra component of weirdness because it's all kind of, we had lights and stuff, but it's never as clear as daytime, right? Yeah. And my son put it on when he thought was the armpit, pulled, sent it, and whack. And we heard the pig go down and the scapula ball was totally broken. So that one didn't go through, but we've got to get. Listen, a, a mature, a very, very mature boar with a full shield. I mean, we should, that, I shoot through them now all the time, though. Yeah. I shoot through I mean, them like they're not there. That's definitely one of the harder things to like pass through in North America. If you have a, an actual, real, legit, mature boar that has an yeah, actual you get a shield big, plate. Yeah, you get a big over 220 pounds it's, that's full grown. They are durable. They suck up arrows, but I, they don't, my arrows don't stop. So what's your, and that's the hard, that's the hard thing to get past. They what's don't your, stop. What's your daily job, Troy? I am a uh, medical device rep, and my background is respiratory therapy. Had cadavers in school. I have a pretty deep uh, science and medical background, and so cardiopulmonary physiology is my bailiwick. Okay, so absolutely. So, so let me ask you this then. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I think. Peter Tia is from Austin too. I don't know if you've met Peter at, at mm-hmm. archery country, but so theoretically, if, if an arrow goes into a cavity single and it's a single lung impact, mm-hmm. and the arrow is wedged in there yep. and there's not air going in and out of two holes. Yeah. You, you plug the hole. So will the, will the working lung, or heart collapse from that pressure you can't there's no there's no it's not black and white the the one thing i will tell you and this is a fact and you can look this up all day if you are on an ambulance and somebody has a penetrating object in their body you do not pull it on site because you You don't leave it in their body and you haul their ass in with rebar sticking out of them yeah. And then when you get to the surgical suite, you pull out, you find out, you get some O blood because that's the old universal. <laughs> it's the old 30 weight. And yeah. You pull, the, you pull the stick when there's a surgeon on site. So the answer to your question about a one lunger is you can never tell. One one lunger, you're going to hit an artery and cut the airway off, and it's going to be massive damage. Yeah. And the next one could be so the bronchial tubes run, the big bronchial tubes run down the center of the lung. And then it's an ever decreasing level down to molecular level. Yeah. If you, if you get a above mid body in the lungs, solidly, but high, not stupid high, but a little high, you're just cutting lung tissue through and it's back and you're in the rear lobe. You got four other lobes that are probably doing okay for a while. And then the next one you shoot, you'll cut one of the bronchial tubes off and sever an artery and it's like magic. Some bitch goes 75 yards and flips over. Well, the reason they don't pull that out is obviously they don't want the second hole, right? They don't want like 
the blood. You're talking like, about the medical thing? Yeah, because, I mean, obviously so the, the pressure, pressure actually inside the body. The pressure's keeping pressure the, keeping the, the capillaries from leaking, right? The pressure's That's keeping right. the capillaries from leaking. Out, they're going to bleed like crazy. That's why pass-throughs are optimal because you don't have the shaft in there. Yeah. That's just a medical fact. They're not going to pull a piece of rebar out of you and then throw you in the ambulance. They don't have blood in a surgeon. Yeah, but but yeah, they don't have blood, but I, I realize why they don't pull it out because if you just started bleeding and they couldn't stop it, you're dead. Correct. Right? That's what I'm saying. They can't, they can't add blood to keep you alive. Right. But theoretically, it's going to be internal bleeding until they you know, they're hoping that the internal bleeding is less than what removing it would then obviously cause a full yeah, gusher. Right. The patient may die anyway. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's not that's, that's my argument on animals because the animals that I've shot that actually, that I know for a fact, I've won lung. And my <laughs> arrow has never left the diaphragm. It's only remained within the diaphragm. Normally once those arrows go, those animals go out there and stop, um, actually one of the elk I shot this last year did this exact same thing, you mm -hmm. know, went for a ways, stopped and, you know, although, and he s stood there and once that lung leaked enough, it literally turned the, you know, it, you could hear him like getting to a point where he was struggling breathing. The other lung wasn't functioning properly. Did he ever then run I off or did you find him pretty quickly or? Yeah. Yeah. It was you know, and, and I've seen this a ton, if I'm honest, like, um, well, I honestly, most, most people these days don't pass through. They're leaving the arrows in a lot of animals. It's pastors are becoming less prevalent, but in the medical sciences world, that's the worst case scenario. You would want the, you would not want the shaft in there. Like I said, it's not a, this isn't a, it's not a binary code. It's, there's a lot of nuances in internal uh, organs. Yeah. It's just unbelievable how durable, God made everything. Yeah. The fact that we're I'm still alive is a is amazing because I have tried to kill myself <laughs> being stupid a lot, and it went in the second part of that is the animals know something's in them. Yeah, and I, now that I've I've seen this a bunch of times, and it's just hard to show. But when you shoot right through them, they just don't run the same. They well, just I mean, don't behave certainly this, most when you of don't, the time. Yeah, certainly if you don't obstruct something. I and and I love this debate because for me, I've I've watched hundreds of animals take it. So sure. um right. what I found is there's certainly something where you whack something and it isn't like seriously fatal. And they, now they know they've been hit and they haul yeah, ass. They yeah, sure. Of course. Bad there's hits, there's hits, definitely kind of like sure. zip throughs where they really don't know what's going on. And, mm -hmm. you know, honestly, like in a gut situation, like they're just continual walk. You end up yeah, that's ideal. recovery right. becomes very, very hard. Whereas when it's like a massive cut, and a big whack they like go for a certain distance and stop because they know like this really hurt the end is near yeah, yeah. and yeah. and i've honestly like i love i actually like knowing where my arrow hit i like knowing where my arrow hit because my experience just teaches me how to pursue that whether that's I can, right whether especially I can when go, you start running whether camera. i can wait especially in that's areas why cameras now with, are so nice 
Cameras yeah. are the best for that because you can back it up and go, oh, that one smoked. Yeah. Or, woo, that yeah. one, eh, you know. Yeah. But it's from all the kills, right? I mean, I get the luck of it's only pigs, but I shoot a pile of them over the last five years because they just, you get them out. That's why I did what I did. I just said, I got this, I got access. I run this ranch. Might as well start well, shooting pigs them are, things. Pigs are great. Um, they're great educational tools. I mean, honestly, a yep. lot of the broadhead companies that I've worked for use use pigs for a lot of the testing. Um, I have a have bunch to. of full uh, necropsies on my on my channel where I actually show the arrow's path and I have the organs in my hand. I get demonetized. I actually get punished by YouTube for doing it. But the information, because I had a cadaver, yeah, I actually know what a pulmonary artery looks like and atriums and can talk about the heart and stuff. So I actually trace the path of the arrow and see the wound in the lung, take the lungs apart, show the airways getting cut or not. Like the, the one my son shot right in the shoulder, which we was not aiming at, broke the shoulder. It one lunged it, but it took both atriums off and cut the, the aorta off the heart and it missed the other lung. It was so, so quartering. Yeah. However, he cut the aorta and the atriums off. It ain't surviving that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you don't go digging around, I've done a bunch of necropsies on my channel of the pigs I've killed. It's super, I find it super interesting. Well, the hard and, part about that too is like, if you shoot a hog, they do like, they freaking haul ass, you know? They do. T they generally like, haul ass. Like, you know, if, yeah. you, if you hit a hog, whether your arrow's sticking out of it or not, like. Yep. It's no, a freaking dust cloud. Like they're freaking running. I mean, that's one they, of the reasons why they're hard to get blood trails on is because they really are moving fast. Like, yeah, the, for sure. You hit them and then they're running so fast that it just isn't time to let it out. And if they're really booking it, the blood goes everywhere. They're super they're, fun. Yeah. They have a very unique skin too. Like when you cut it, you know, it, kind of looks just like white leather almost oh, you know, yeah. it can seal back shut which is honestly why i like such a big freaking hole because i just yeah. slam those things and yeah if i'm not if i don't pass all the way through which i can if i aim you know back edge of a shield for sure um i typically aim i typically aim to try to break the opposite shoulder yeah i mean uh, i'm super low I'm just tired of chasing them, John. If you shoot them this far above the brisket, quartering away and try to break the other shoulder, they do not go 50 yards. It doesn't matter if they bleed or not. You kind of know where they went. <laughs> yeah. So you start walking that direction and you'll find them. Yeah. And I just got pissed off and got tired of freaking chasing them around. So I just, I'm super aggressive on the, on the golden triangle. Well, do you have anything? We've been on a while here, my man. I've got, I've got a. I'm looking forward to getting the do. information from you. I've learned a ton, and I appreciate it. I appreciate your patience with me, dude. I, dude, I'm so grassroots. Like some... I'm so raw. It's ridiculous. <laughs> will you please watch some like how-to videos? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm about to. Okay. <laughs> I told you that yesterday on the phone. I'm I I learned to hear, and All I right. pretend to know everything. But I'm curious, son of a bitch, and I'll be out there doing it. All right. Well, hey man, I appreciate it, Troy. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you shooting better at some point. I promise. Absolutely. And 
Well, I hope I should. I, I'm going to try. I'm going to pro I'll promise that I'll give you the opportunity. Um, I am. You know. Listen, I'm completely coachable. I am. <laughs> okay. I just need people I know who know what they're doing and you're one of them, right? Yeah. I'm not even trying to blow sunshine up your ass. Yeah. I just don't, I am so coachable and I learn super fast. I just got to get my hands on it. Yeah. So sounds like I'll be at school. I'm not trying to learn how to shoot a bow and arrow. That'd be hey, great. You know what man. I'll do? I'll just walk in the shop and go like that, and you'll go, "What the hell have you been doing?" I said, I've been watching this stuff, the guy. Dude, I'll notice right away. I'll notice right away. <laughs> It'll yeah. be super fun. Cool, man. You, you have anything else you want to? You have anything no. else you want to ask or anything? We good? No. I've got I got a whole page of notes now that I've written down. There's stuff I need to play with. All kind All of right. great ideas. Thanks a lot, man. I really, yeah, I really man. appreciate it. It was good meeting you. Thank you for and your I'll, time. I'll see you at Archery Country at some point. Yeah, I'm sure. Absolutely. Have All a great right. day. Be sure to check out knockonarchery.com for our full line of custom design products, as well as free in-depth education and bow hunting entertainment to help you shoot 